What do you think they're called? They're the cookies that are tubular and have chocolate cream on oh, the inside. Yeah, he sees the recording button on. He's getting all exposition. <laughs> How would you spell pyruline? P-I-R-O-U-L-I-N-E. Start the fuck over <laughs> no, and use only English letters. P-I-R-O-U-L-I-N-E. Pyruline. I've always called them pirouettes. That's with you reading the Costco version. If you think I've ever eaten a fucking Costco cookie in my goddamn life, <laughs> you are sorely mistaken. I was eating the Pepperidge Farm version. You both are white trash. <laughs> you know that? You grew up as trash. 100% true. Pirulines. 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 God, that first sounds all, like the first name of a country music singer who just killed herself. Pirulines. And then Blake Sheldon's tribute, Goodnight Pirulines. <laughs> the kid who now runs the Pirulines factory in Mississippi. His name yeah. is yeah. Herwig Debucular. <laughs> No. Yes. No, no, no. C. How Lee. do you spell debucular? D-E, big B. Oh, yeah, there it is. Kim's right up. Yep. Fucking- Herwig debucular, plant manager, debucular cookie. Oh, Jackson, debucular cookie. That sounds delicious. Yeah, debucular cookie. Dude. Give me a plate of debuculars. It's a family name or whatever. You Dude, gotta- LinkedIn is trying to tell me there's three Herwig debuculars. <laughs> they made Straight two up. extra. Honestly, even if you were like a pedophile cockroach. That yeah. name seems like a, it would be like unfair to you. If I just molested the little cockroaches. Sorry, Herwig. It fits. True fact. What is the name of the game here? Uh, circular phrase play. I worry that you are actively having a stroke and there's like an acronym <laughs> that I should remember of things face. to do. Face. Okay, what's the F? Face is face. F is face. You, you understand what I'm saying about you're having this a stroke right now. Great work. Oh wait, no, it's fast. Sorry. <laughs> Still, what's F? F is face. And what do I do to your face? Just see if it's all fucked up. Eh. Uh, what's the next one? I'm going to put a pin in the F. I, listen. <laughs> I remember coming home on, on like a, I want to say a Saturday afternoon, and you two were in the basement of the home that I walked into, mm-hmm. right? And no one else was around. And screaming from the basement, I hear like, Eric, come down. We're watching a movie. Grab a fucking pear. From the box on the dining room table. Yes. Eat a fucking pear. Eat a pear. What are you, and then I see the pears. It's like Harry and David pears or whatever. And I remember eating a pear, yeah. biting into the pear, and having such a just an autonomic sexual <laughs> reaction to this fucking pear, which like dripped juice yeah. in a way that no pear ever had. Absolutely. And I must have made an intonation, like something like, Oh, <laughs> right? which like was not couldn't have been that loud. Yeah. But when I did it, I think what you did was yes. <laughs> <laughs> This article from 1995 called Ur Fascism by Umberto Eco. Almost the entire second half of the article is Eco going through a numbered list of 14 uh, traits or properties that he associates with fascism. Mm-hmm. And he sets it up by, by saying this. Uh, the notion of fascism is not unlike Wittgenstein's notion of a game. A game can be either competitive or not. It can require some special skill or none. It can or cannot involve money. Games are different activities that display only some, quote, family resemblance, as Wittgenstein put it. These features cannot be organized into a system. Many of them contradict each other and are also typical of other kinds of despotism or fanaticism, but it is enough that one of them be present to allow fascism to coagulate around it. And then he names some stuff, a lot of which uh, seem very familiar yeah, to me. Familiar. But the fact that basically one, any one of these tendencies, you might be able to build a fascism around. Uh-huh. Right. 
Which is interesting. It's not what makes the fascism. It's just a tendency. Yeah, so there are 14 conditions that if one of them is satisfied, fascism proper... Could grow, maybe? Could, could grow. grow. Not could necessarily grow. will grow. He doesn't necessarily rule out the possibility of a fascism that includes none of these things. And he doesn't say that as soon as you have one, you definitely will have fascism. Definitely right. does not say that. Right. Although, if you get a few... It seems likelier and likelier that you yeah. will have does fascism. He, does he say that? No, not explicitly. He talks about a sort of new-agey trend. At one point, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, St. Augustine is not a sign of ur fascism, but once you're combining it with Stonehenge. Yeah. Oh, the syncretism that he calls it. Syncretism. Yeah. yeah. That there's a kind of mishmash, a necessary mixing of old things together or something. Faux ancient wisdom mixing with other beliefs, as I think of that as like hippie, you know, like sort of non traditional uh, grasping for spirituality, as not quite the same as a desire for violence and domination, but it makes a lot of sense to me once I allow it as a possibility. Yeah, I mean, like Echo is now to explain why syncretism coagulates fascism or whatever. He just says, this is a thing I've noticed phenomenally tends to happen, you know? And I found this a little bit unsatisfying because it it ultimately just is a list of things he's noticed go hand in hand with fascism all the time. What he's saying is it is not relying on ideology and it can change which parts of these it needs in order to grow, right? Yeah, but that is that is an interesting culminative definition to come to of fascism. Like if you say what is virtue, Mino, and you and I list off individual virtues like wisdom and prudence, then you say you've given me a swarm, not the definition of the thing. And it is interesting that what we have here because fascism is a slippery term like this. Uh-huh. What we have here is ultimately like keep your eye out for these things. Odds are the more of them you have. Right. But the reason it's the term is precisely because of how slippery the thing is, right? Yeah. Like yeah. this is that's one of that's the part of it that I found is like insightful. It's almost like I saw it as symptoms. He's only talking about how do you deal with this weird cancer that is very hard to catch. The necessary conditions are there are none. It doesn't need to have any one thing. Or it needs to have one these 14 things, perhaps. perhaps. Perhaps it needs to have one of these things. I mean, that is slippery thing is, as hell. The frightening thing is that this list is, could be infinite numbers long. It's true. Right, and this this is just what fascism thus far that echoes went across. Right. So, like he doesn't know what the conditions are going to be in the future. He's talking about this thing that shows up that has certain tendencies in the conditions he's seen. But since he doesn't know what the conditions will be, in- and it is important that this all follows a. Uh, delving into the particular fascism of Mussolini in Italy uh, and echoes coming to convince you that it was not ideological. Uh-huh. Like, this is all in contrast to Nazism, which was unified in the ideology of Mein Kampf, he says. And so, given that Italian fascism was not unified by one ideology, what made it fascism? And then I guess he produces yeah. this list. Can we go even farther than it's not ideological and say it's not even consistent? In its very slipperiness, you somehow are dealing with a, the pure evil of, yeah. of fascism precisely and that it has no loyalty to anything but something at its own, like, beating heart. And which isn't to say that, like, uh, syncretic mysticism wasn't a part of fascism in Nazi Germany, but uh, only that in Italy there was something ad hoc about it yeah. that was not present in the German variety or yes. whatever. Right. He says rhetoric is... is it was, was all rhetoric. Right. When rhetoric flows from an ideology, you can make sense of it via the ideology. When rhetoric is just rhetoric, you're sort of left to, just as you said, Nick, to sort of ad hoc construct or reconstruct yeah. the syncretistic mysticism that might or might not be behind it. I mean, but this is deeply mysterious, right? The yes. Ego saying that an ad hoc, making it up as we go along thing, ends up converging on something called fascism, right? Yeah. But 
Like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. What the fuck's going I mean, on? so it, it, it implies that there's a logic encoded somewhere, either in one of these or all of these 14 characteristics, or in a people who are susceptible to the, what did he say, uh, con- congealing of fascism yeah, around coagulation. these? Coagulation of fascism around these? And when one of the such principles, I think number two, is a kind of irrationalism, then like Sirkovian style shit comes into play because that it, that it has a logic seems undeniable for this thing that arrives uh-huh. and then subsists and then is overthrown. It does seem to require a logic. How did this come about? And then it's like, oh, one of the features is there's no, like it doesn't play by your rational rules or whatever. Right. It's an uh-huh. emotional rhetorical state. It's obsessed with power and dominance because it comes from weird frustration. It needs to have enemies. He says that's what has to sort of define it, right? Mm-hmm. Enemies that are both too strong and too weak. There's some weird just straight up up sick lust for power at the oh, yeah. heart of the thing that allows it to be changeable. And, and part of our frustration or part of our wondering about the mystery or mysteriousness of this thing is Tolstoy's sort of question, right? Is about like, well, wait a second, does it, what are the causes of the of an event in history? How, how do we determine them? Is it such and such men doing such and such things? Is it a complex relationship between the people and, and leaders? All of these questions are very alive here. Mm-hmm. The first feature of our fascism is the cult of tradition. This new culture had to be syncretistic. Syncretism is not only, as the dictionary says, the combination of different forms of belief or practice, such a combination must tolerate contradictions. Each of the original messages contains a sliver of wisdom, and whenever they seem to say different or incompatible things it is only because all are alluding to the same primeval truth. As a consequence, there can be no advancement of learning. Truth has been already spelled out once and for all, and we can only keep interpreting its obscure message. Are we worse at finding the good shit than we once were? Us specifically? Yeah, us specifically. Uh, Inspired by my own feeling about like sometimes even basic research tasks, the internet has become a little more daunting. Yeah. Less responsive. I sometimes worry that it's discouraging me from seeking sometimes. Maybe this is net neutrality being eroded. I mean, that would be a generous interpretation of what I fully am ready to admit is a personal kind of exhaustion. Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. Something you is find happening. yourself exhausted by potential Google searches. Definitely. Sometimes I've, I feel like that's more and more as life goes on. I'm exhausted by how many tabs I have to keep open. Just to get a thing straight. Yeah, that like uh, if I'm trying to track down like some quote or something like that or like what the, you know, venom of a rattlesnake does to you, right. 10 tabs open easily. Yeah. It, did you feel it? Do you feel like that's, it wasn't always like that? Like I, I can't tell if my standard for answering a question is higher and more exhaustive now. That could be. Or if uh, the information is just way harder to find now. It could be a little of both. Yeah. What are you finding? On the internet when you are not finding the information. You're finding weird bullshit, bullshit yeah. which means it feels like there's lots of that. I mean, I, I think this is this is Google's fault, actually. The, yeah. Anyone who finds anything on Google is fundamentally, in all cases, finding the answer to a question that somebody has already solved, right? That's, that's what Google is. That's how it works. That it attempts to make smoother 
the finding of an answer by relying on somebody else having searched a very nearly identical question, right? And it's getting worse because all previous searches, all past like internet activity that Google interacts with is getting built into your like interaction with Google in the present, right? right. Every time someone has searched for Venom and has seemed satisfied according to Google's like yeah. algorithms and AI or whatever, that is now coming into play. So as time goes on, I feel like whatever it is that like Google thinks makes people happy. I'm getting more that's of, right. and it isn't what makes me happy. Yeah, definitely. It feels like some kind of weird sludge that's hard to identify. Where, where formerly, if you were accidentally placed on the top of the bell curve, right, you could like ski down either side. But Google, as a methodology and a business model, has cut off the yeah. south and north slopes. So to ski off it is just to plunge into the fucking abyss. And basically, like all of our technology is making these predictive behavior-based decisions for us more and more of the time. You know, in a microcosmic way, on your phone, your autocorrect is like trying to like learn from you or whatever, oh. and woefully fails. Yeah, it's like constantly. it's like the stupidest dog you've ever had. So what we should do is turn it off. And yeah. least, I have it. Off. At least you can on your phone. But really, and perhaps there's a way to do this on as one granule in Google system. But Google system is not going to kowtow to your desire to get the straight story. That's over. That in that era of the internet, if it ever fully existed, is over. Yeah. It's truly frightening what fucking YouTube videos you get served up. Yeah, like, dude, I don't... Yes, it's true I listen to a Van Morrison song. They'll never I do let not it go. need yeah. more. I watched a video accidentally for three seconds of right. Jay Leno talking about a Lamborghini that he owns. You love Leno. They know now. Yeah. They, <laughs> not only do they know I love Leno, but the people who love Leno, guess what the fuck they, else they like? They like gun videos. They yeah, like a guy taking a gun apart. And this seems to happen. There are people I follow on Twitter and I just never see their tweets ever, I feel like. It doesn't, I can go to their page and see they've been tweeting. And I'm like, that is never in my timeline. But I like liked one bad tweet by some other person. And they're just, anytime they There's think about up. tweeting, yeah. it's like, hey. And almost everyone I know who interacts with, with platforms that do this hate it. Yeah. No one says like, boy, I love the asynchronousness of new Instagram. <laughs> yeah, or right, right. No one says Nobody that. says that. Yeah. None of this is designed to make us happy at all. And that, you know, it's a really important point to keep in mind, especially about Google, which can feel wrongly like a neutral party in all this. Yeah. No, no, it's not at all. YouTube videos are such a great example because even though they have like, you know, years of you watching various videos and can see how long you watch them and should, one would think with their like ability to learn about us, not just immediately be like, he watched that one Power Ranger video. Let's fucking flood him. Fucking flood him. Like it's so weirdly crude and, and just ridiculous. Yeah. But it has something to do with ads, right? It has something it's to do everything with everything has to yeah. do with ads. It's like you know how we serve you content sometimes that you like? Those aren't ads. It's just right. content. But then the ads are that too. <laughs> of course. So I think what is that the Turkish woman who writes about like internet security in a really smart way, Zeynep, whatever. Yeah. Um it's a TED talk, so I haven't watched it. <laughs> But it appears to be called. This you know is, this? I was going to bring this up. The, really? I, this is a phenomenon of just the title is persuasive enough. We're building a dystopia. dystopia. So you can click, click on, on ads. So I knew you were going to bring that. It's completely, funny. completely true. I have you never. Also have not I've also it. never watched it. We are the fucking worst. What's the name of the talk? Uh, we are building a dystopia 
so people will click on ads or something just like that. And we both had that because we're and all I needed was the thumbnail, and I'm just like, she's killing it again, Zaynep, whatever. I felt like my whole response to it it was sort of predestined. I didn't actually need to watch it. I was like, I agree with the thrust, but the fact that this is a TED talk lets me know that if someday I was gonna like bring up wisdom from it, it would be caveated yeah, in that right. way. We all can sort of predict and be like, well, she has some good points. She's overly simplifying. She's digesting in this way. She's somewhat sympathetic to the corporate interests that rule our world out right. of necessity. That's why she's at the TED Talk place. Like I already felt like it just, I knew exactly how it would go. Yeah. Which is of course a meta point about the point that we assume she's making. Right. That we assume <laughs> she's fucking making. Two. Traditionalism implies the rejection of modernism. Both fascists and Nazis worship technology. However, even though Nazism was proud of its industrial achievements, its praise of modernism was only the surface of an ideology based upon blood and earth. The rejection of the modern world was disguised as a rebuttal of the capitalistic way of life, but it mainly concerned the rejection of the spirit of 1789, and of 1776, of course. The Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, is seen as the beginning of modern depravity, in this sense where fascism can be defined as irrationalism. Ideas worth spreading, as a reminder, is Ted's tagline. God. I work on helping computers communicate about the world around us. There are a lot of ways to do this, and I like to focus on helping computers to talk about what they see and understand. Given oh, a scene like eight, this, 18 errors a modern already. computer vision algorithm can tell you that there's a woman and there's a dog. It can tell you that the woman is smiling. It might even be able to tell you that the dog is incredibly cute. I work on this problem thinking about how humans understand and process the world. She said, I work on this to understand how humans process the world. Yeah. So first... Oh. Yeah, she's trying, to, she's, she's trying to make a grand reversal by saying... Well, first she says, I work on how computers see, understand, think, and communicate with one another, and I do this so that I can understand how humans do these yeah. things. Her category mistakes and descriptive mistakes are and we don't even know the content of, of this yet. Not we even do know that computers can't do that, right. and if they could, it would not inform anything about how humans do it. Correct. One of my guiding principles is that by helping computers to understand what it's like to have these experiences. Oh, oh my God. To understand what we share and believe nope. and feel. No. Then we're in a great position to start evolving computer technology in a way that's complementary with our own experiences. It's a perfect so, circle. That sentence didn't go anywhere, right? Digging more deeply into It's a really this. stupid prayer A few years ago, best. I began working on helping computers to generate human-like stories from sequences of images. So, one day, I was working with my computer to ask it what it thought about Wait a, a trip She's to Australia. literally insane. I was working with my computer to ask, ask it, it what, what it, it thought. thought about a trip to Australia. What it, 
said instrumental dative there. What is, the fuck does that mean? She has lost sight of of category distinctions. Yeah. She thinks she's talking about the computer like it's a being that that as if a camera can see, the computer can understand yeah. and work on these things. And she's there to help. She's like the physical trainer for the uh, like yeah, yeah, exercising yeah, yeah. computer being. It, the computer's no tool. It's a dude or something. I was what working with my fuck? atlas to find out where it thought it was. It took a look at the pictures and it saw a koala. It didn't know what the koala was, but it said it well, thought it was an interesting-looking creature. I could never have dreamed it would be this bad. Then I shared with it a sequence yeah, of images about a house burning down. It took a look at the images no. and it said, it's... "This is an amazing view. This is spectacular." It sent chills down my spine. It's a computer. It saw a horrible, life-changing no, and life-destroying it, event but, and but thought it, it was something positive. It didn't think anything. I realized that it recognized the contrast, the reds, the yellows, mm-hmm. and thought it was something worth remarking on positively. The, the, the worst thing that's happening here is that to get our sympathy for the machine and its attempts to think in giant quotation marks, she has to make a story about how the computer was like really, really cool and good, and then they made a horrifying mistake, and now we're invested in whether or not the computer learns its lesson. But how can it be this bad? I'm really, I yeah, really yeah, am yeah. genuinely surprised the by how bad The way that she's is. talking is sort of um, egregiously irresponsible. It's not even and close also to- also patronizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In That's a right. wildly, it's hard to believe she can use a computer- and uh, let alone like be some kind of it's, expert it sort of and talk like this way. A children's book about computers, the way she's talking like. And then the computer said, "Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Ooh, what an image!" And but but well, like there's a. She almost seems to be like, "You're never gonna fucking believe the computer misunderstood the yeah, burned yeah. down house and its value judgment it made with its soul <laughs> didn't reflect a real live soul because." And I don't mean to stun you here. It's not a human. It's just a computer. And part of why it was doing this was because most of the images I had given it were positive images. Positive That's images? That's because people tend to share positive images when they talk about their experiences. That's a maddening When's the last claim. time you saw a selfie at a funeral? Dude. Oh, my God. <sighs> When's the last time you saw a selfie at a funeral? And she immediately that? shows you a selfie of a person at a funeral. Is that, is that for the, the laughs? I no realized one's laughing. that no as one's I worked laughing. on improving AI task by task, data set by data set, that I was creating massive gaps, holes, and blind spots in what it could understand. Three of the same thing. It's and bigger than you so, think, lady. I was encoding all kinds of biases. No shit. No shit. Biases in that yourself. reflect a limited viewpoint, limited to a single data set. Oh my God. Biases that can reflect human biases found in the data, such Wait. as prejudice. Oh, you mean garbage in, garbage out, huh? Amazing biases that can reflect human biases in the data. Imagine talking about like a radar this way. Do you know what I mean? Be like the the radar that wants to listen to its good friend the airplane, but so when it gets cloudy, the lonely radar can't. It's like, why are you talking like a fucking like it's not a technology? Like radar AI is a, can be very sad because there are all kinds of things can break up the friendship. Why would you do that? The first color images were calibrated against a white woman's oh, skin. No. Oh, bring the race color in. Yeah, you can handle race, definitely. Against yeah. black faces. <laughs> oh, my God. And that same bias, that same blind spot, continued well into the 90s. Well and into the, the 90s? the blind spot continues even today in how well we can recognize huh? Huh? different people's faces in facial recognition Me? technology. 
I actually I do great the state of the being art and perceiving today, being where we tend to limit our thinking to one data set and one what problem. What are you talking? Just and that in doing so, we were creating more blind spots and biases that the AI could further amplify. That's I realized、true. then that we had to think deeply about how the technology we work on today looks、all. in five years, in ten years. Dude, Humans evolve slowly. Someone in the audience taking notes. It's time to correct for issues in the interaction of humans and their environment. This is the dumbest CEOs shit. CEOs and scientists have weighed in on what they think the artificial intelligence technology of the future will be. I love how they Stephen never want to be in the present. Stephen Hawking warns that artificial intelligence could end mankind. Wow. Elon Musk warns that it's an existential、wow. risk and one of the greatest Elon risks Musk that we face as a civilization. Bill Gates has made the point: I don't understand why people aren't more concerned. But these views—I <laughs> love the folk. They're、quotes. part of the story. The math, the models, the basic building blocks of artificial intelligence. Are something that we can all access and all work with. Oh, that's awesome! We have、true. open source tools for machine learning and intelligence that we can contribute to. Your words don't mean anything. That, Let me in. We can share our experience. We can share our experiences with technology and how it concerns us and how it excites This us. This sounds like a like a public relations self-hypnosis. Yeah. We can communicate with foresight about the aspects of technology that. Could be more beneficial or could be more problematic over time. You could communicate with foresight about If that. If we all focus on opening up the discussion, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is an advertisement for what thinking might be like for someone who's never done、this、it or something like that. AI people are addicted to a vision of the future. It really is. It's cult thinking. It's, they've been abducted. They're using、AI、language to obscure、yeah. the real situation. We use smartphones and digital assistants and Roombas. <laughs> Roombas. Are they evil? Maybe sometimes. What? Are they beneficial? Yes, they're that too. When, when are they evil? And they're not、about? all the same. And there you already see a light shining on what the future holds. Roombas. The future continues on from what we build、the、and create right now.、On. Oh my God! We set into motion that domino effect、we、that carves out effect. AI's、yeah. evolutionary path. Just good word saying. In our time right now, we shape the AI of tomorrow. No. Technology that immerses us <laughs> in augmented realities,、uh-huh. bringing to life jargon. Technology that helps people to share their experiences Sh- when they have、connect. difficulty communicating. Right. Technology builds on understanding the streaming visual worlds. Oh. Used oh. as、oh. technology for self-driving cars. That's the. I can't. Technology built、labels. on understanding images and generating language, evolving into technology that helps people who are visually impaired better able to access the visual world. And we also see how technology can lead to problems. All that we see now is a snapshot in the evolution of artificial intelligence. This is really shit. Really hard. Because where we are right now is within a moment of that evolution. Right. That what that are you what fucking saying? That's what happens down the line. And in the future,、If、we, we are at an、AI、infinitesimal boundary between past and future. The future is never ending; it goes on and, and on and on. That enable that path now, and so today, what I focus on is the technology for tomorrow and for ten years from now. I worry it's too specific. <laughs> AI can turn out in many different ways, but in this case, it isn't、in、a self-driving car without any destination. This is a car that we are driving. 
But it's a we self-driving. when to speed up and when to slow down. AI. We choose like if we need to a make a self-driving car that, that we, we are driving. Is what, what she just said. What the future will be. There's a vast playing field of all the things Stop. that artificial I intelligence can't. can become. I mean, the metaphors are it just stacking up on each other. Like this place. isn't speaking. No. You know what I'm saying? And it's up to us now in order to figure out what we need to put in place that was nine minutes and 56 seconds of nothing in the world in order to, to maximize the connectability of the potentials we are slowly starting to find in the data that is located between ourselves okay. and the future so we will create through I mean you're just what not what did she actually say okay the only thing that she said was technology, we can make it do good. Or bad. Or bad. Our own- we, it's important as we look forward on the crescent of the timescape as it arcs toward Futureland to make it in the good kind. Our own badness, if we're not careful, we'll put it into the AI. Oh. You don't believe me? And Here's AI. a Bill Gates quote where he says, I'm a little worried. And she says, hey, I don't know if you've heard about this evolution thing, but we are, <laughs> right, like as AI shit always is, we are right at the fucking starting fucking line for it's about to take off like crazy, man. And uh, So we have to be very careful, basically. But don't be scared because it's also super empowering because we're going to, the blind will see. And uh, yeah, yeah, we can maybe focus we, on that stuff. We can also solve racism. Were you asking like what, what was the point of this? Yeah, what was yeah, the what actual was, content? The point? Yeah. I mean, one, we make the technology and we will make it however we make it, yeah. whether it's good or bad. All right. We applaud ourselves She's, for like making it open source. She said literally nothing or less. This is just here to be on her resume. Gave a yeah, TED talk. Someone about should it. fucking click on it and realize she managed to not say anything. Yeah, this is this is. I can't really believe how bad this is. Um, what are her credentials? I, it's hard for me to believe she actually. I'm terrified to look it up. Let's. Uh, well, she actually like it works with AI. Her name is Margaret Mitchell, a research scientist at Google. You guys, these are the most powerful monopolies and like transformative and aggressive sort of corporate behemoths that the world has ever known. And we sometimes think to ourselves, I think, like, how bad could it be? These Google people must know what they're doing. Or the fact that this woman works at Google should help us remember that it's no fluke that the Zuck is so fucking clueless. These giant powerful things. One thing that one thing that disappointed me about that particular TED talk is its utter vacuity actually prevents me from seeing why anyone would ever hear a TED talk. Maybe they're all like that, and maybe this is a vapid exercise in looking at the red letters T-E-D on a fucking stage, and maybe that's all there is. She works at Google. I don't think you guys really process the horror of that. Three. Irrationalism also depends on the cult of action for action's sake. Action being beautiful in itself, it must be taken before, or without, any previous reflection. Therefore culture is suspect insofar as it is identified with critical attitudes. Thinking is a form of emasculation. Did you once tell a story about a guy being in the paint store with his dick out? 
This with is his not dick fully out. Yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> Denise, great, the wall covering expert at the paint store <laughs> I worked, told me a story. That I've is, tried to reconstruct this, this in my genuinely mind. Genuinely horrifying. So if you walk into the paint store on the left, is like the area where they're like paint shakers or whatever the fuck people mix paint, and then on the right is like the huge thing with all the different paint chips where you look and pick out your color or whatever. Yeah. And like, what would happen when there are no customers is all the people who work there would be over in the paint mixer area, and you'd like look out twenty feet away. And there'd be the paint chip, pick out your color area. And the story goes that like no one's in there. It's like a Tuesday afternoon and a dude, you know, the bell rings, dude flings open the door and goes over and he's like picking out the, or he's like looking at the colors or whatever. And Denise is like over there and the guy who's with Denise is just like, what the fuck? And he like looks at Denise and gives like urgent eyebrows, you know, urgent eyebrows. So yeah, say his yeah, face. Yeah. And Denise looks over and just immediately can see from twenty feet away. They're the little fleshy protrusion out of his pants. <laughs> it's his penis. It's his flaccid penis. Flaccid in a non-perverted it's, exhibitionist way. She's like, his, well, his, I'm asking. His fly was open and his penis, not in a sexually excited state, was was it was doing a poke out, doing a poke out. And just this story, I'm like, I was stunned. It like took the wind out of me. Yes. I'm just like, what? His fucking dick is out. And she's like, and you know, I I was like, I'll walk over. I'll just be like, your fly is is down or, or something like that. You know what I mean? Your fly. And, and she's like, and I walked over and I was like, you know, I'm I'm like, I have two boys. I remember. It's like I have, I have two, two boys. boys. I've seen it all. Sure. I'm gonna like play it casual and seen it all. And he just turns to me and he's it's he's so oblivious to this fact as he looks at him just like he's on paint business that, totally. That she and she's like and I just immediately was like, hey if you have any questions like we're around and just wow. fucking dropped and stayed away and he like gathered up paint chips and like walked out and she's like and you know God assumes like later on he must have realized his dick that was fly out. was out. She could barely like say the words. She's like, that his fly was open and he was out, you know? I'm just trying to imagine the mechanics here. Yeah. Because that's that's a whole category of How do you out. know you're not this man? Have you ever had you discovered your fly was down? But here's, not, here's what I can't but, comprehend, right? And when my dick's out, you know. I know you it's a, out. I assume. You assume. I this assume. Is, this is well, because exactly I, the horror of the When I take the, the dick out, I feel that it feels different than it being in. Of course. You're, you're, not that your dick has lungs, but your dick knows air when it's yeah, struck right. by air. And Eric knows air, and I can feel my dick, and I know what it feels like. Now, what if... It, not every time. Not every time. Not not every errand you run, but maybe one Tuesday afternoon, two Tuesday afternoons in your entire life, the conditions all line up where the temperature and sort of wind it's, variance it's a perfect ninety eight point six degrees in your slacks and in the paid store have somehow lined up and you briefly fly open, you are out. And and they couldn't what tell you. What precipitated this? Is this a? I just gone to urinate in the bathroom, and then yeah, I got I distracted know. by a meteor, and then I just went How about my day. How does he not hate his penis? It just, it, it just can't send a fucking signal. Yeah. Def. Or or do you think he knew all along, and he's just that's fucking- more disturbing. Much more disturbing. What Denise, was that her name? Yeah. What she was faced with is something that we'd all be faced with, and I have great sympathy for her in this story, because. The fly, your fly is open, is the prelude 
to <laughs> the play of him looking down and seeing his own dick out. <laughs> yes. And then Denise yes. will be standing there as the precipitator of that whole dumb show. When someone points out that your fly is down, I really think that most of us take in like that itself is embarrassing and don't even let ourselves say... You know, the real yeah, danger here right. wasn't even this. <laughs> this was someone a, tells me my yeah. fly is down, I'm implicitly saying, and that's going to be the worst yeah, of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've never thought, I, you know, I, I always have to go paint shopping in an hour. I wonder if I was right. going to. She tried to assume the best and really like go be sort of a disinterested, non-sexual being mom. I was going to just like give him a little warning. Yeah, and the nudge. fact that she pulled up and didn't acknowledge the situation and sort of like rolled on it is I've always taken as some kind of subtle evidence that maybe the guy knew that maybe her instinct was, oh, I don't know off. what I'm doing. Now she denies this. Okay. She was like, no, 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 he didn't know, but I was too embarrassed. Well, how uncommon was it for a man of any dick in or out to just go into the paint store, evaluate some paint chips and then leave? Cause that's what you're saying he did, right? Not uncommon. Yeah. Not uncommon. But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just, maybe, what if this is just like a couple, like a stop on the dick out day? <laughs> yeah. He's right. like, what if I do Aaron's dick out today? I've lived so many days dick in. <laughs> Most of all of my days have been dick in. What's it like? I'll go peruse the paint chips. I'm, this is, I know this is egregiously full throttle, <laughs> but I'm fucking doing it, baby. <laughs> if he was knowingly dick out in a certain way, that is full throttle. <laughs> yeah. For him to know the dicks out, to be aware of the dicks out, but to keep the dick loosey goosey, <laughs> poker and face. to not fucking worry about anything. Prove, prove I know. Prove I know <laughs> my dicks out. You when can't. my dick is out in a dick out situation, like a sexual encounter, or even like a I am naked about to be in the shower, I'm. I would say I'm extremely aware of my of of the outness. But when your dick is out in situations when you don't know your dick is out, which are situations you don't I don't know about. Know. Yeah, that's right. You can't know. No man, no man. It's an no unknowable. Man has dick location it's unknown, certainty unknown. at all times. It's an unknown, unknown. The state of being <laughs> of of you with your dick out when you don't know your dick is out is the fucking final frontier for epistemology. Really. It, and it's a scary unknown, unknown in the sense of we've all had our fly down, and as far as we know, that was the worst of it. <laughs> Right? Not one of us ever had a dick slip out. The world we live in is a world where no one is going to say your dick's out. Right? Yeah. Tough, tough but fair. <laughs> I'm sorry. You were in charge of all the dick. Yeah, you got to take care of it. Yeah, you're in charge of that stuff. But how do I ever leave the fly down? Jesus. No syncretistic faith can withstand analytical criticism. The critical spirit makes distinctions, and to distinguish is a sign of modernism. In modern culture the scientific community praises disagreement as a way to improve knowledge. For her fascism, disagreement is treason.
So you're going to Snopes us? Yeah, Snopes me. Is Snopes like a dying website? I feel like you you hear that, that right? periodically. That they were in trouble here. with somebody they hired to do ad servicing or servering what? ads. I'm uh, going to Snopes you on that. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's yeah, a great yeah, thing. You're Snopes. Snopes. <laughs> the Snopes test to Snope any Snope claims. <laughs> Uh, it's like a small operation, right? But it like actually gets the shit. They clearly, like, whatever design revolutions have taken over websites over the years, they have seemingly been immune to all of them. They've really earned my trust in a crazy way, though. Like, for a... No, they're authoritative, it seems. They are authoritative. That's my claim. Uh, okay, first claim. Okay, was a Russian woman embalmed alive with a formalin drip? Like, she went to the hospital and an IV had formalin rather than fluids? Listen, man. Was she embalmed alive? Embalmed Definitely alive. not, I think. Yeah, I mean, does that phrase make sense? Hard to imagine if you could be embalmed alive, alive and embalmed. Yeah. Yeah, that's that sounds like I'll go with exactly no. the kind of It sounds of like there was a tragic medical error that's been sensationalized. Right. If someone got that injected into them, they would die. Die. Yeah. And thereafter, maybe be embalmed. As a separate process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From the life process. Mostly yeah. false. Right. Uh, what's true, Ekaterina Fedeyeva died after a medical error resulted in her mistakenly being poisoned with formalin. Right. Yes. This is a great example for me of, okay, like a bad thing happened and it involved this like specific chemical. We have newspapers, like international newspapers be like, lady embalmed alive. We need to live in a world where people go, what? That's a a phrase that begs an explanation that really if you- Made an effort to give, it wouldn't make sense. In, it's designed to sell papers. Yeah. It is exactly the wrong context for a tiny fragment of the truth. Newspaper editors saw the opportunity to write the evocative phrase, embalmed alive. Yeah. Did a radio host tweet about sodomizing a Parkland survivor with a hot poker? Dude, they all have been crazy with these Parkland survivors. <laughs> they they love the shooter now. The conservatives, like, here, snopes me on that. They, yeah, these, yeah. The conservatives are slowly coming to love the shooter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going yeah, true. It does Are you feel going right. true? Yeah. I mean, David Hogg really brings out the pedophilia. It's that also, that's- it, it, yeah, we all agree it must have been David Hogg, right? Yeah, definitely yeah. David Hogg. The thing that I find persuasive just in the headline is unlike the embalmed alive where you're like, wait, but what does that phrase mean? This is just very specific. Sodomized, specific. Right. hot poker. It that's, sounds like someone's reading a tweet and trying to word it nicer. Yeah, not a mixture. We just get the big old, just true. true. Jamie Allman tweeted about sodomizing Parkland survivor, shooting survivor and activist David Hogg with a hot poker. It is interesting that Snopes has to- cover whether or not someone tweeted a thing because tweets are easy to fake. Yes. Yes. Screenshots of tweets. That's a very boring little avenue for Snopes to wade into, but I guess that they Snopes have Snopes deals a lot with these like phrasing and exact claims because I really think it's like a Thanksgiving referee thing. This is families emailing yeah. various points and then Snopes steps Absolutely. in to like really try and say like, your uncle's right about this part. Yeah. Okay, Obama pledged more flexibility toward Russia after 2012 election. Pledged more flexibility. Well, it depends on what you mean by pledged. He didn't publicly. It was a hot mic. You that, know about this. Yeah. I don't remember this. I, obviously, that's vague enough where I would, I, if I were betting on it, I would say that sounds like just the kind of thing that could have been true. Pledged more flexibility. There's actually nothing wrong with that either. That's right. This yeah. whole, this is one of those, it's an unfact checkable sort of controversy. There's nothing yeah. wrong with it is the key point, but how do you explain that really in a fact checking situation? In terms of evaluating credibility, pledge more flexibility is a phrase that seems eminently unproblematic and it's a clue to its truth. Pledged though is probably slightly misleading because it was a hot mic, but whatever. Did Nobel Prize winning author Sinclair Lewis say that when fascism comes to America, it will be wrapped in the flag and carrying across. 
No, it was somebody else. False. Origin. Sinclair Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Also literally wrote the book. It can't happen here. Sinclair Lewis, a line often said to have come directly from the novel, though it sounds like a sentiment Lewis would have agreed with. However, there's no record of him actually writing or saying it, according to the website of the Sinclair Lewis Society. Wait. In other words, that's not what you should go to for this. You should go to the book. I mean, it's a novel, so I don't know what it would mean if that phrase appeared within. Yeah, it's just a misattributed quote, which is not really quite like yeah. the There's something similar that was actually said by Huey Long. Uh-huh. Anyway, I'm not interested in this kind of project. Yep. Uh, this one is NASA deforestation images. Popular NASA photographs highlighting the dramatic effects of deforestation in North America. And they're showing you the, the really green America on the one side of the Earth and the not-so-green America on the other. And I, you can very quickly, I think, without like Wait, checking it, it out, that it doesn't quite add up. It's a picture of the, the entire globe of the Earth from space. Yeah, it's just different seasons, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. it isn't that they got rid of, so it's the leaves, like, fall. Come on, random. This is really not that fun. No. Oh, my God, it brought up again. Obama pledged more flexibility. <laughs> Canada company makes annual fur payments to the Queen. Say it again. Canada company makes annual, annual fur payments to the queen. I don't understand there. Old rumor says Canada's Hudson's Bay company is required to make annual payments of animal pelts to the queen. Oh, yeah. Right. It sounds like one of those old holdover, archaic this law type things. devastating trip to the website about snaps. Yeah. <laughs> because if they are doing the Lord's work on important like debunking, what the fuck else is this other shit? Who fucking cares about this stupid stuff? False. <laughs> so glad we looked into it. Like that's a rumor, I guess. If you're gonna actually do debunking, are we interested in how they debunked it? Like, I don't know. I'm not not that one. This is a lot of like internet trash. I felt like the number one sign that something is fake that you should be really like skeptical is it's giving you too much what you want. Yeah. Like there's a post I used to see on Twitter and Tumblr during the election that was in the early 80s, Trump told Playboy, if I ever run for president, I'll run as a Republican because Republicans are all fucking idiots. They're so easy to fool or whatever. And I remember seeing it and thinking to myself like, no, this is a little too smooth. This is exactly what yeah, you want him to have said, right? This is too, this is what I think is true right. on some level. And so you, I knew it couldn't be. I mean, it also is like, so much of it is like, did this publication really say this or not or something like that? Like, is this a thing that was said or wasn't it? It seems like there's a lot of the like internet rumors because there's a desire to put words in the mouth of people to make them say exactly the thing you want them to say. That's not quite the thing they usually say, but is an easily imaginable thing that they could have said. No one's reading the actual sources. Otherwise, this wouldn't be an issue. Like in science journalism, the headline is everything. You have to be able to attract people with something that like brings it down to earth or is so weird. They're like intrigued or whatever, because there's a deep insecurity about whether or not the public actually finds science interesting, finds right. it relevant, understands that it's allegedly for the public's benefit, right? And viral fake news stories seem to take that and like cut the tether to any actual reality. And it's all about the cell and the spin. You can you can sort of feel the science bullshit coming in that you know science is is desperate for its audience. So when yeah. you see something and you go, Oh, this is about audience, not right. about yeah, yeah. the thing that's being reported on, you start to get skeptical, right? Well what's missing in the discourse is the study because that document is deemed to be illegible to the also wider paywalled. public. <laughs> 
yeah, and even if it weren't paywalled, it's not like people have access to the open source. Yeah, right, I mean, right. the, 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 those studies are illegible, and people lack a scientific literacy, and I think are aware of that, and so are sort of dependent on science journalism to literally translate into a readable format the claims of science. But like what Donald Trump said in a Playboy interview is not like that. But it's strange that we are reporting on it like that. Like the one I clicked on when I clicked on random is. Did a law professor claim the 2017 solar eclipse is racist? Did a law professor claim that? Because it's something about a long article in the Atlantic magazine, <laughs> which if we all had literacy in, yeah. we wouldn't need a context of the Atlantic article explainer to come down on one side. We'd all just be like, well, let's read the article. Well, he's, no, he didn't exactly say yeah. that. You know what I mean? We just solved the problem by going to the source. The more important question, rather than is that Maybe true we hold on or is that false? Maybe we should hold on a second. What am I? That's is that a vacuum in the hall, right? The important point is, even if that was true, it is irrelevant. It, it reveals nothing about our country, law schools, the Atlantic, or the state of race relations in the world. You're talking about one guy. What makes this different from urban legends or from like things that could really persist as like issues you're skeptical on? It, fuck. How can anyone Wah. vacuum like like if a Republican volunteer in Tennessee or whatever? Like genuinely believes in unicorns, and I and I like it's like true fact, true fact. That's maybe that's a great moment of comedy if I could somehow show you that like claim. But I haven't revealed anything by like discovering one dumb belief by one supporter. Yeah, if someone wanted to use that in a parentheses fallacious argument where you're like, you see how dumb Republicans are. This one re volunteer believes in unicorns, right? That would be the context in which we'd be like, well, wait, is that even true for your straw man <laughs> or yeah, whatever? It seems like ad hominem straw man yeah. anecdote plucked cherry nonsense. And so we have to have an anecdote veracity website because anecdotes are being used uh, in fallacious arguments. In a weird way, it's a bad sign that we have to fight over whether or not anyone even said that because a, yeah. a more clear thinking people would just say like, so fucking what? Both sides have idiots. Nothing is revealed. Fascism grows up and seeks for consensus by exploiting and exacerbating the natural fear of difference. The first appeal of a fascist or prematurely fascist movement is an appeal against the intruders. Thus, your fascism is racist by definition. Welcome to Red Room. I read the story last night. Italo Calvino's short story about the, the moon. Oh, yeah. You know this one? Yeah. Mm-mm. It's called the distance of the moon. That doesn't sound Italian. Boo! It's not. It's. It's. We had it on top of us all <laughs> of the time. That enormous moon. Oh, <laughs> he's. It's Mussolini. What if she was so full and night's the brightest day? <laughs> but with a buttercup light, a bull, a butter bee, butter bee, it looked as if she were gonna crush us. Oh. <laughs> That's literature, baby. Yeah. You butcher my metaphor, I fucker your face. Um, I, I worked a job that perhaps I've alluded to before, uh, like telemarketing for like what was assuredly a predatory lender. And so it involved, in a certain way, tricking the people that we called on the phone sure. to like give us like certain pieces of information, just social security number included, and then we'd like fill out this loan document and who knows what the fuck they did with it. But our job, the telemarketers, was like to get the information. And this took some confidence and like some really shitty phone tactics. And it was hard to ever succeed at this. And there was a, a guy there. Um, uh, I was one of the only white people working there. And there was a guy named who everyone called Dalito. He was like a big guy 
And he was like, you want to practice with me? You're having a hard time? Why don't you practice with me? And we did a practice call. And because the stakes are low, I was particularly boisterous and confident. Mm -hmm. Talking to Dalito was posing as the homeowner. (laughs) And I was trying to get fake information out of Dalito. And Dalito hung up the phone after the call and like thought for a second. And then motioned to me to pick up my phone so that he could just talk to me through the phone. Right. You know what I mean? Rather than face to face. Yeah, yeah. Like we were just like, he's right over there. Oh, he wants okay. to like talk An to me. An actual phone is involved. And here. he goes, don't take this the wrong way, but you have white people confidence. <laughs> and yeah, he was right. The kind of confidence I had was, was white people confidence. I said to him like, you're right. And he goes like, I really don't mean anything. I, like no disrespect. And it was like this weird moment where totally. I was like, none taken. Like you're, yeah. of course, your analysis correct. is correct. Yeah. So the part of me thought that's a hard limitation I've discovered. <laughs> like I will, I can be as confident as I want, but it's always going to be white people confidence. Is he implying you were confident out of size to your actual abilities? No, I think I think it was. Yeah, you're confident, but how confident can you be? You have white people confidence. A uh, high school basketball coach told me something very interesting about confidence. Once where I was saying something to him after you know playing well or blah blah blah, and saying something, and be like, "It's all about confidence. It's all about confidence." Because one of the discoveries of sports, of course, is when you're scared, it doesn't go well. When right. you're confident, it goes well. And he said very offhandedly, as all sports coaches, in not just in anecdotes but in real life, totally do. They throw out all this off. Everything is secondhand and passed on. They it never feels like they're like telling you a new thing. He was like, yeah, yeah, confidence is all that matters. But you can't fake confidence. The only thing you can do is just spend hours practicing. It's the only thing that changes your confidence. That's it. And I remember sitting there, like, after you said it, like, he's, like, walking off and just being like, you know, I actually think that's sort of deep. I don't think I ever in my life could have said, how do you get confident in anything? Like, I really, and he had the recipe just so simple. He's like, just hours. You put in the hours. Don't worry about how it's going. You put in the hours. That's how you get confidence. You can never fake it. And it really did feel like, oh, this is why you, there's no Jedi mind trick. Right. Be like, I'll just be confident and then it'll be great. It's like, no, no, no. You actually have to like spend all this time working on it. And then the confidence shows up. He was saying it like there was no insight there. I just remember thinking to myself like, too, like you always are looking to like figure everything out. But everyone already sort of gets this. (laughs) Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Just work harder. And I think white people confidence is that's confidence you didn't get from practice, right? It's confidence you get from expectation. From asymmetry of situation. You know it's easier for you, you know, right? I I think that has to be involved. Six. Your fascism derives from individual or social frustration. That is why one of the most typical features of the historical fascism was the appeal to a frustrated middle class, a class suffering from an economic crisis, or feelings of political humiliation, and frightened by the pressure of lower social groups. In our time, when the old proletarians are becoming petty bourgeois, the fascism of tomorrow will find its audience in this new majority. There's that part in Gosford Park where, uh, like, somebody's gossiping about the master and, like, how the master bought a new pistol or something. And the fucking uh, maid that the master is fucking, who's been outed as the mistress and who has nothing to lose, is like, uh, why do we have to structure our lives around these people, right? Uh, and that's us now. We, we have no way of talking about... Um, 
the future direction of our society or lives without involving the interior psychology of Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. Because we're all downstairs and they are all distinctly upstairs. This is uh, bolstering a thought I've had for a while about what the internet is doing to culture, which seems to be, despite that we could anatomize it and see like, look, now every subculture has a thriving community. And what we should see is like, all kinds of splintering off of interests and culture. In fact, what seems to be happening is a kind of TVification of culture, that there's just yeah. mass culture, that it massifies the culture. Purees it. Yeah. Whereas what we thought this thing was going to do, this like great democratizer enabler of, of subcultures, is I think allow it to be more peaceably multifarious. In fact, it's just all getting mishmashed. Definitely. It seems like we made it a mistake. At some point, we thought that not having to pay, having things be free, would help protect the sort of democratic, uh, empower everybody aspect of the internet. But instead, it made like the whole internet dependent on advertising. And so it's like you need mm -hmm. to see these weird necessities like creep in. I mean, the great thing about TV is that they get to serve all these fucking ads to people. And so, of course, the internet is moving in the direction of TV because they need to find a way to make us look at ads. I mean, this is one of the only things we started with as a podcast was that we would never have advertising so that when we wanted to raise money, we had to be like, you, will you pay us money yeah, out right, of the right. goodness of your hearts? Yeah. And even having to use Patreon as a kind of advertisement, Patreon knows that. Patreon's capital investors knows that. Yep. That's right. Patreon is a corporation. Yeah. It's weird to look at what almost everything across the internet has now, which is like rating systems and quantifiable. You, it has this many ratings and these many people find it helpful and it gets this many stars and do this tweet is this and it gets right. it. Oh no, only 12 retweets. You know what I mean? Right. And you have to like win all these little elections. It's and so your worst. peers are the enablers. It's like the worst of, of uh, every possible option coming together is what it feels like to me a lot of the time. And that is not, or is that a radical democratization of what once was a pretty good old boys situation? In other words, it could just be, yeah, the result of this like radically reduced democratization of everything is that the corporate overlords decided on what terms you're going to vote and on what items you're going to vote. Everyone, there's an infinitude of items. But because you're at a whim to the corporate overlords terms, it just is a very shitty democracy. But it is a democracy. Or is it not a democracy? It's not a democracy because the opposite of nepotism, which is how celebrity usually works, is not democracy. A meritocracy? It's, yeah, it's yeah. an algorithmocracy or, or it's some weird, I mean, the process in a way isn't what's most important in terms of what's happening. It has to do with the fact that like, I don't know what, you know, William Sean was like, but I think that he wasn't just trying to make the New Yorker money. I think he did have a sense of responsibility. And while there might've been people who were doing a shitty job, it seemed possible that there'd be benevolent, yeah. Gutsy people taking risks, or that if you kept up and had sort of talent or spirit, that you could sort of break through, or that someone who would feed your spirit would break through. It just seems more possible in my like nostalgic vision of the past. And now it seems like there's no hope that like Instagram wants to show you the post that'll be yeah, spiritually yeah. best for you. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea that the best people doing as well as they can is like the recipe for a good democracy. I really hope that that's thoroughly abolished in the mind of every voter. But are we saying that um, this is a failure in people's ability to make these curating choices that is exposed now? Or are we saying like, you know, we just kind of shouldn't have ceded that authority to the people? 
I mean, it has nothing to do with the people and everything to do with uh, a lack of public virtue. That you can imagine um, an FCC commissioner yeah. in 1955 who had some pretty deep and impartial thoughts about what the purpose of communication was in a democracy and used their position to bring those things into like reality. This, this is really important. One of the things that was protecting like the value of good information or, or like good articulation, say in journalism or whatever, was that the government did play some role in saying yeah, yeah, yeah. like, hey, you can't own both the newspaper and the local TV station. Okay, we need a diverse, a true diversity of voices. And we're willing to like, you know, step in and when even like book publishers would try to like buy one another, there were pe- like DOJ people willing to like be like, hold on, this is a danger to our democracy. And it seems like we, it's easy to forget that both politically and commercially, there are people who set out to, one, break down those walls, and two, devalue the economic viability of, you know, being a journalist or being a novelist, or, and that that has had an effect. It's no accident. I think you're, I mean, right. In other words, if two things were going on, one that was trying to break down walls, in other words, like not cede authority to a censor board or something like that to decide what's dangerous and what's not, rather let the people decide, then that maybe led to your second thing, which is, well, we let the economics sort of run away with this train. And we forgot that there used to be people in positions of authority, I guess, that they either earned or didn't, (laughs) but whatever, they used to be making choices for us. And we noticed there used to be less of a flood of bullshit in those times. But it I argue myself into this anti-democratic place sometimes, which always worries me. Yeah. Where, I mean, I know this wasn't what we were exactly just saying, but if we were just saying like, boy, it would just just be nice if William Sean could like curate Twitter or whatever. That is not a democratic thing to say. No. And if the government could step in and decide what tweets are dangerous to our democracy is also not a democratic thing to say. If the government deciding what's dangerous to our democracy, irrespective of whether or not it will sell, is a good then it also gets to this dangerous place where we're giving them that authority. But I mean, the government, the government could take a position like, if you let people spend an unlimited amount of money in politics, then it those rich people will drown out the voices of poor people. And, that's and bad so we have to put up certain kinds of walls, not because we're so interested in limiting the voice of the rich person, but because we need to let voices be heard. Because I think democracy is like the free market, which is to say unchecked it will run amok of itself and be dominated by shit yeah there will be no little fish there'll just be asshole sharks and a bunch of blood in the water and we let that happen in a whole bunch of spheres it seems like it always seems more complicated to me than like uh oh there was some golden past where the fcc took its job seriously and because of that the 1950s and 60s were this kind of paradise in the public square and the actual history doesn't seem to bear that out. No. no, I'm not trying to embrace the idea of a great past or a great present. I think each of them has things to recommend it. Certain. The question is sort of how do we navigate our losses and gains in a way that, like, I don't know, makes us feel empowered and, mm-hmm. and more, like, courageous, you know? Because, of course, the best case scenario would be, like, Nick, you mentioned, like, a loss of public virtue earlier, which is, I think, about the people. But, yeah, the best case scenario would be, well, the people just get better at meeting out the good from the bad, the true from the false, the partisan from the neutral. And so we don't have to worry about gatekeepers so much because the people are empowered and enabled to make these decisions better for themselves. That would be a way to have a successful democracy. But of course, 
this doesn't occur exactly. We can point to corporate influences and top-down government influences, why or why not, or what efforts we have made or have passed up on and trying to like get the people to this place. But ultimately, like I think the ideal that we're striving for is a place where like, no, it's not an it's not an objective good to have Pulitzer or William Sean decide what's good for us. We should be the ones who get to decide what's good for us. Shouldn't we? Yeah. Well, and I'm not asking that everybody in America like reads Tolstoy or something. And I'm not even asking that my candidate like wins every election or that like the interpretation of the facts I think is best is what like is on the front page. But I want to feel like in some ways, like the way all of the different perspectives interact and the choices that get made are not sort of rigged from the start. Right. Like I can deal with losing an election. Uh, I just did want everybody to, to be able to vote. I want, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Like I can deal with like everyone that a magazine going out of business because it was like too obnoxious, you know? Yeah. Maybe we could say something like this. Like if you totally mistake as we have, um, radical democracy for the unchecked flow of capital, then your democracy project will become this feudalistic nightmare project. Yeah. You'll be going backwards effectively. Exactly. So the logic of the Citizens United that you brought up is flawed not because the not because we should check speech, but because you're wrong about the money part, right? Yeah, yeah. People talk about late capitalism as though it's very, very different from feudalism, and I, I it seems decreasingly the case to me. No, right. no, that's right. That like when when Amazon is the only way to buy food or medicine or whatever, uh, you become a kind of serf. And what the what the bosses are empowered with, what the new lords are empowered with, is the argument that at least it's not feudalism, yeah, that every right. dollar can speak and that everyone is on equal footing. We know the lie of that because of the reality of how yeah. things have gone. There's an alibi that even the victims believe, that you're in the bottom of the house being a servant and not the master of the house because you that's what yeah. you deserve. Yeah. That Bezos you is a genius. You didn't work hard enough to get up to That's right. Something's wrong with you. You have a character problem. Yeah. If the historical circumstance of the creation of the country called the United States of America happened with chattel slavery, uh, it becomes really hard for me to imagine a definition of democracy to which America could aspire that could escape that origin. You but know? in principle, what we're saying should apply to any capitalist society, even one that wasn't founded on the backs of chattel slavery. Find me that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad point. But the flaw is in capitalism as we have just articulated it. That would be an additional problem that you just brought up. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a flaw in capitalism. I, I, I wonder sometimes whether there isn't also a flaw in democracy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that is one of the big questions. Is what's wrong with our democracy, it's capitalism, or is there something wrong with the democracy yeah. as such? You, you know how Obama has always said, like bringing up the Martin Luther King quote, the, like, the, arc, the moral arc of the universe is long and depends on justice? In the, in the office, right? Isn't that quote, in a way, saying, uh, in terms of the present, just democracy is so fucking fucked? Yeah. It's a way of saying, like, the moral present of the democratic universe is unjust. But there's always hope we can change it and improve it, right? And it's long. It doesn't even mean tomorrow will be a better day. Dude, it doesn't even get to justice. It just keeps bending toward it. Yeah. Asymptotically. Perhaps. In not every moment, right? There are huge backswings. The cutting edge of that quote to me is that it's out of our hands, you know? Okay, the moral arc and it's yeah, like, like the the curvature of the arc or whatever. Yeah, no. that's that's not in the hands of the temporal world. Who's, who does decide that? 
I think it's God. It's God. The moral indifference of Leo the universe Tolstoy. has no moral opinion or arc whatsoever. Yeah. The arc of the universe <laughs> bends toward destruction yeah. by another mm-hmm. metric. Yeah, who, so, knows, who knows if destruction of injustice that might be the is same the same. Arc. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to Ragnarok. Seems right. Never left. It's only just begun. There's no leaving Ragnarok. There's no leaving Ragnarok. There's no leaving Ragnarok. There's no leaving Ragnarok. Seven. To people who feel deprived of a clear social identity, your fascism says that their only privilege is the most common one, to be born in the same country. This is the origin of nationalism. Besides, the only ones who can provide an identity to the nation are its enemies. Thus, at the root of the Eurofascist psychology there is the obsession with a plot, possibly an international one. The followers must feel besieged, but the plot must also come from the inside. Once, uh... When me and a girl I was dating at the time, we're supposed to like go meet up with some people. We'd like said we were going to go to like a party or whatever. Uh, We didn't go. We ended up like talking, like fighting kind of like disagreements. And there's this moment where I was like, we got to go. We said we'd fucking go, you know? And she said to me, she was like, you know, they're all okay. They're, they don't need the Adam show. They're all going to be okay. This is a trick you play on yourself that you have to like watch out that they're all like desperate. Like the secret is everybody's okay. <laughs> without you is the, without you. Thing. Everybody's okay without you. And it really did this thing that I was thinking of as unselfishness. I was like called out on the vanity of it, the self-importance of like me being like, it was a quit. It was a commitment. We, we got to go like, go, we got to make sure. And it was like a really good of like, what am I really looking for here? What, how am I really seeing the situation? It's yeah. always struck me. And I sometimes have to say to myself, like everybody's okay. Like yeah. everybody's okay without you. It's a good preparation for death. Yeah. I was going to say it is kind of like preview of like, it's, the, and it's the truest fucking yeah. shit. Yeah. 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 Maybe there's no truer thing. Then everyone's going to be okay. Yeah, maybe it's you. the truest thing. <laughs> we've, yeah, we've finally got the truest. Uh, panels open from the ceiling. There's confetti <laughs> silently falling on us. You found the truest thing. <laughs> Real conspiracies do exist. Yes. But you will always be the person who thinks that there's a conspiracy against them if it's against you. <laughs> so it's a, it is a problem. There's a conspiracy against you. 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 Eight. The followers must feel humiliated by the ostentatious wealth and force of their enemies. However, the followers must be convinced that they can overwhelm the enemies. Thus, by a continuous shifting of rhetorical focus, the enemies are at the same time too strong and too weak. Fascist governments are condemned to lose wars because they are constitutionally incapable of objectively evaluating the force of the enemy.
Reconcile this shit for me, all okay. right? I look down my nose at you. Yeah. I turn up my nose at you. Yes. Both imply your superiority over me as per your own visage. Right now you're looking down your nose at me, true? Uh-huh. Now turn up your nose at me. Are they the exact same thing? Excellent question, man. And so interesting. Do I need to turn my nose up in order to look down it at you? What do you think, Adam? Adam? What are you talking about? Nose placement? What the fuck? It's actually that? a pretty good question. Yeah. He so, actually got one. If you, so two phrases he wants you to consider. Look down your nose at me. Now, turn up your nose at me. <laughs> same are they different? Same activity? Uh, when I turn up my nose at you, I am no longer looking at you. Mm, you, uh, it, that's interesting. You turn away and turn up thy nose. When I assess you, I look down my nose at you. Mm, yes. Not great. And then when I say, well, hold on, don't be hasty. And then I go, yeah, shit. And turn up the nose and I march away. I have better men to assess, I'm afraid. You little rat boy. It can be fluid. You can look down your nose and that can sort of concress into a turning up the nose and, and walking away. Right. You almost always, when non-eye rolling, are looking down your nose. To look up your own nose. It's, it's really true. It's a very specific A lot of mirror, the looking yeah. I do ultimately is down my nose. It's not just positioning. There's some kind of power dynamic that's being yeah. emphasized That's right. in the look. I mean, turning up your nose is obvious. You smell like shit. Looking yeah, down yeah, your nose. Right. It's not clear why tilting your head back and looking down the contour maybe of your like, nose. Maybe it's like, you can't possibly look that shitty. Let me change my angle of gaze. Oh, you oh, still look. do. Yeah, is that yeah. it? Exactly. Okay, now explain how changing your <laughs> angle of gaze it's just like, does well, anything. What else are you going to do? Squint? It's yeah, performative. Squint. Before people invented squinting, they mm. were just looking down their nose at people. And then they're like, you know what? We got a better way to do this, eyelids-wise. What? I don't, first off, I don't even know what you're talking about <laughs> when you speak propaganda and lies in order to take on your enemies. Your... Sounds like witch talk. <laughs> Jesus. Fascism, there is no struggle for life, but rather, life is lived for struggle. Thus, pacifism is trafficking with the enemy. It is bad because life is permanent warfare. This, however, brings about an Armageddon complex. Since enemies have to be defeated, there must be a final battle, after which the movement will have control of the world. But such a final solution implies a further era of peace, which contradicts the principle of permanent war. No fascist leader has ever succeeded in solving this predicament. Got these fucking intros, man. Ideas worth spreading. Like chlamydia. Not ideas, not worth spreading. Congratulations. Thank you. By being here, listening, alive, a member of a growing species, you are one of history's greatest winners. The culmination of a success story four billion years ago. I feel like making. I'm teaching high school. You Thanks, are life's Cindy. one B minus. The losers, life's the 99% of species who have ever lived uh, are dead. Killed so by fire, flood, <laughs> asteroids, predation, As starvation, ice will be. heat, and the cold math of natural selection. The cold There's ma- no Your ancestors heat and back cold to the math? earliest fishes overcame all these it's challenges. Weird. They don't understand evolution. You are here because of golden opportunities made possible by mass extinction. Is she pro mass extinction? That was a joke, guys. It's true. The same is true of your co-winners and relatives, co- the 34,000 kinds of fishes. Yay. How did we all get so lucky? 
Will we continue to Good win? Good we're at the end of the game. Yeah. I am a fish paleobiologist who uses <laughs> big data, the fossil oh, record, oh. to study how some species wait, wait, win what's the and fossil others record lose. Big data, too? The living how can't tell us. They know win. nothing but winning. So we must speak with the dead. How do we make dead fishes talk? Museums contain multitudes of beautiful fish fossils, but their real beauty emerges when combined with the larger number of ugly, broken fossils. I thought she was going to say And reduced data. to ones and zeros. <laughs> yeah, there I it is. I control a 500-million-year database for evolutionary it. patterns. For example, That's what fish the fossils forms are. can be captured by coordinates yeah. we can and make transformed them into numbers. to reveal uh, major pathways of change uh, and so trends through time. The few Rafin relatives of salmon and tuna cowered at the bottom of the food chain. <laughs> Who needs data the when you have lively accounts like this? in fear. What? Your few four-legged ancestors, the tetrapods, uh -huh. struggled in tropical river plains. Oh. Ecosystems were crowded. There was no escape, no Everyone opportunity died. in sight. This is such a mistake. It was a then wonderful, joyous ended. time, but also a scary time. No, it is a good thing. 96% of all fish species died during the Hangenberg event 359 million years ago, an interval of fire and ice. What? A crowded world was disrupted and swept away. Now, dun, dun, you might dun, think dun, that's dun, the end dun. of the story. The mighty <laughs> fell, the meek inherited the earth, and what? here we are. Wait. But winning a... is not that simple. <laughs> The handful of survivors a model of came winning? from many groups, all greatly they outnumbered don't... by their own dead. They ranged from top predator to bottom feeder, big to small, marine to freshwater. Right. The diverse, silent majority of the dead. It nearly leveled the playing Watched field. On. What is going to be the point what here? What really counted was what survivors did over the next several million years they do? in that devastated world. We don't world. know shit about what they did. The former overlords should have had an advantage. What? Yet... They merely persisted for a while, declining without innovating, becoming oh living fossils. Innovating. God. They were too stuck in their ways. They became and living fossils. I, this makes me hate Darwin for allowing these computer people to use not Darwin. Ray fins, sharks, and four-legged tetrapods went the opposite direction. They became smaller, living fast, dying young, eating living little, fast, and reproducing rapidly. Young. Guys, 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 let's innovate food, by dying young. Different homes. Is there a way to cheapen my language even bodies. more? Could we find? And they found opportunity, proliferated, and won the future for their 60,000 living species. Won the future. Including you. <laughs> including you. wonder why these familiar. conservative idiots you know their name. doubt the fucking science. These people are so Winning bad. Winning is not about random events oh. or an arms race. Oh. Rather, survivors went down alternative evolutionary pathways. Pause that so shit, please. Experimented and then innovated. Winning is not about random events. It's about going down no, particular evolutionary... Alternative evolutionary pathways. Oh, my God. Walking. Which doesn't involve random events, by the way. There are no random events. A the woolly mammoth deserved to die. The elephant deserved to die. I am now thrive. investigating how these pathways to victory and defeat repeat Stop. across time. All she has My lab fossils. has already compiled thousands upon thousands of dead fishes, but many more remain. However, it is already <laughs> clear that your ancestors' survival through mass Dig them up. And their responses in the aftermath made you who you are today. The aftermath of my extinction? She hasn't even future, like clearly explained the problem, which is as we study survive, the different fossil times recover. in the fossil record, the we realize how many of these things are going extinct.
today. What does this tell us for the future? As long as a handful of species survive, life will recover. The versatile and the lucky will not just replace what was lost, but win in new forms. Press the gas pedal, It just friends. might take several million years. That's terrible science. Uh, all, yeah, right? I mean, just first. You, like, right, what we have learned from the past, it means that it will always happen again in the future. You can picture, basically, what she's talking about is you're, you're like, looking in the fossil record, like, at the bottom of the sea, you're seeing all the signs of these old fish, old, like, whatever, sea life, and you can see these different eras, right? These different periods, and you realize the ones from the oldest time aren't in the sort of next layer, and you're like, oh, my God, many of them all died off. And in fact, at this one weird, mysterious event, almost all of them died off. Right. And then you end up with these, and they change in this way, and you change in this way. And you don't really have the story of what the fuck was going on. You don't, Of course not. Of course. You have some partial thing. You don't know exactly how much of it you're capturing. We don't know how complete our data is. We don't know what happened when the fish were alive. We can speculate, but we often have misinterpreted the fossils we have in dramatic ways. Oh, yeah. And the only like new thing here is is that we are able to make a spreadsheet of different data points based on the fossils and look at the trends. Yeah. That's it. That's it, the only thing that, that she has that Charles Darwin didn't have. Well, and one thing that makes me think she's not using that technology in a particularly effective way is that she doesn't feel any need to refer to it at all. She's not saying, like, we thought there were five species and this algorithm helped us realize they were all the same it's species. It's remarkably free of particulars. <laughs> yeah. The thing that really amazes me about listening to these TED Talks is... The awfulness of the TED Talk as a genre is present in an incredible bounty in each particular TED Talk. It's, it's like, it's like they You're all- You're starting to sound like a TED Talk. Be careful. <laughs> it's like they all have an editor that makes them all sound equally awful. There's really no sustained presentation of particulars at all. No. Right. There is a patronizing tone to the simplified ways in which the, the subject matter interacts with itself or whatever. But the problem is really that- assuming we're not fish scientists, right? If if you're going to do a meaningful thing, you'd have to come out and be like, this is what I am interested in. This is how we have attempted to pursue the question. And let me describe my method for you of how we're pursuing it. Right. Like if before you even got to whatever results or conclusions you have, and I would argue she fails that test so fucking hard. She quickly is like, data, extinction, rebirth. Yeah. Now, do you think that they are like creating talks for non-experts in the most condescending no, no, way they're, they're possible. They're not creating talks for non-experts. What they're doing is creating non-experts. This is, no, how, no, you, right, this right. is how you make somebody stupider. But do you yes. think what they need to be told is, hey, stop dumbing it down so much? Or are is there something more fundamentally broken with them? Where it's like, do you really think this is going on? Or is this just what you think you have to sound like when you talk in front of people? It's, it's a horrible mixture. There's, there's a possibility that there's a sort of, like a Hillary Clinton consultant type at who's like a gatekeeper at TED, who's like, if you're, no, stop with all the particulars. Alright? You're and losing people. Yeah, yeah. You, like, need, you need to have a story. No one gives a shit what your stupid little fucking weird old school fish was doing. You better say innovate. Don't say like blah blah blah, mm -hmm. and you know, where's your humor? You're sharp. You're a sharp speaker. Yeah. How about some wit? The reason I doubt that that is the answer is if they came to us and said, "Hey, can you explain your podcast in like an incredibly stupid six minute thing in which you say nothing, embarrass yourself with vague, terrible jokes, and just mislead people in general about like what you care about?" We would be like. No, thank you. As would any serious person asked to explain right, so who, anything. Who is this gratifying? 
lazy pseudo intellectual. It's not because there's no business plan here. This is not like for investors. Oh, no, it probably is a little. It's but. definitely the reason that the scientists are doing it. Why would anyone click on these YouTube videos and watch them as millions of people do who are not investors? Because people who don't know anything about science want to know something about it. And this is the single most ubiquitous and therefore accessible in like a satanic way avenue into science that people want to know more about it's science. Genuine so human it's easy curiosity. to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. They know that they're not going to go, what did he say? Fuck. Right. And just be overwhelmed. But they are curious. They have a natural human interest in learning. How do you stay curious and tolerant of the level of language in these things? What I think of as my most frustrating feeling watching a TED talk could be ascribed to a kind of curiosity I have to actually know what's going on as opposed to the manifestly unsatisfying story they're telling me. So if it's curiosity that's driving you to these TED talks, don't you eventually decide no TED talk is Abs worth watching? Yes, okay. absolutely. But the problem is, this is when we say that this is what, uh, this makes people dumber, it's really sad that they have these audience clapping and a million views. And the yeah. success of the yeah. TED Talks is sad because it I should mean, be a but, mark of failure. But like the content of all these TED Talks is so distant from what they would have to be to actually relate the content of what they study. This has like the, the George W.S. Tro magic of like a very familiar and comforting sort of setting. And they all seem to get us to a place of vague, impossibly vague hopefulness yeah. at the end or something. They're upbeat. They're sunny. They're heroin. I mean, they're somewhere in between like a candy bar, a sitcom, and like yeah. being shot in the head. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're in that whole weird, like they're in that zone. And what's weird is I don't know who to be most embarrassed for. I, it's one of the few times I really feel like as a species we are at our grossest. And, and like you have to actually say to yourself, I will not give in to the idea that this has anything to do with science, really. Mm -hmm. To me, it's not just that they don't present their research and solutions poorly. They don't even get you interested in the problem. Yeah, no one is like clicking through to find the scientific papers that this research is no, allegedly no, no. based on. Nor do any of the speakers seem to allude to the existence yeah, of yeah. those papers. But no, it's not about getting you interested in the problems. It's making you vaguely and like narcotically aware of the solutions. Yeah. And yeah. apparently... What is not a barrier to that endeavor is that these aren't really solutions. I really think that anything could be interesting if the right person could tell you about it. Right. And somehow, this is what's so depressing. Whatever the topic of the fucking TED Talk is, guess what? It's worthless. <laughs> you watch the TED Talk, and not only do you not want to be a scientist studying this, you can't believe the person talking really is a scientist. Yeah. It seems like some fucking like Mentos commercial version of science. It's like this. What a dead well, name. And, and, yeah, that might be. But if you were, if they're really doing the science, why would they submit to this humiliation? Yeah. Or why don't they realize that this is a uh, putting out of the light? I mean, in truth, that yeah, that might be related to the fact that you need to be. You need to seem publicly accessible in a Silicon Valley-ish way in order to secure funding. And therefore, they're going to send their PR-type science talkers up to the stage. There's something about the format of these things that it seems all wrong to me. There's no reason why this should be such a small person on such a big stage at all these events. I don't understand why that has to be. But that's the aesthetic they're going for. It's important to note like, how damning the thing is you said about the funding and that it's important to sort of be out yeah, there. What makes sense. What we're Just saying, basically, uh, we were saying that, Cite me. that science journalists... Uh, basically are doing clickbait. But what we're saying here as we watch these things is the scientists themselves, because of their need for money and funding and sort of acceptance, they themselves are 
actively producing yeah, the clickbait. They have to design the clickbait for the clickbait world. TED Talk is is just letting the scientists be their own middleman to the duped, mind-dead, clicking zombie consumer or whatever, right. right? But that anyone is accidentally under the impression that they're being edified by watching these things is just such a sadness that follows. What are they doing that seems less edifying? Yeah. Ten. Your fascism can only advocate a popular elitism. The leader, knowing that his power was not delegated to him democratically but was conquered by force, also knows that his force is based upon the weakness of the masses, they are so weak as to need and deserve a ruler. Since the group is hierarchically organized, according to a military model, every subordinate leader despises his own underlings, and each of them despises his inferiors. This reinforces the sense of mass elitism. At a red light once, I was driving with a friend in high school and pulled up to a red light and he, in a very seamless way, rolled down his window and said the following phrase out the window directed at a car whose windows were also open. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my testicles laminated. And then rolls up his window and drives away. And I thought this was very funny as a youngster. Mm-hmm. It, like When we <laughs> were in the elevator before with like a young girl texting on her phone right and in similar situations in my life i really am 100 percent of me is repressing the urge to go so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna get my testicles laminated you've done this to me in the car i have yeah we were you're uh, haunted by this quip what's what's, what's the circle southeast of dupont yeah scott Sh- sheridan sheridan, sheridan yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we were going into sheridan circle and you rolled down my window and next That's to a bike better. messenger screamed that you were going to get your testicles <laughs> laminated. I screamed it at him? You screamed it to me. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm going to do, yeah. right, I, if I'm honest with myself, always want to do this. What do you think that, what's going on there? I mean, I always want to talk about, like, uh, how my apartment's soaked with blood when there's somebody in the elevator. What do you want to, yeah, I wouldn't we, use the word soaked. Get okay, so, <laughs> Wait, what do you want to say? I want to be with a person I know. Yeah. And then a third, a stranger or more, yeah. five strangers. Yeah. And then just talk about how much blood there is in my what, apartment. Like what, you know, like, what am I going to do about all the blood? No, right? it's just, there's just so much blood. Boy, is there a lot of blood in there. I like the idea of getting practical with it right away. I'd be like, that is too much blood yeah. for just trying to scrub. <laughs> what is that impulse we want to do? Is that looking down the nose, uh, turning up the nose? It's like uh, the, the fear of heights is really a desire to jump. Like you're, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're trying to fight the urge to bring up old jokes and act a fool. <laughs> To uh, to while out to be a to be a young thug, bothering. I want to be that kid again. Yeah, I, I don't really remember doing that kind of high level social uncomfortable engineering as a kid. But the feeling of uh, of treating your actual life as performance, which is a thing we were yeah, sort of mentioning, yeah, yeah, there's good. something happening there that's funny. It's like let me let me just put on a little show for you, stranger. Which yeah. right. actually, can I claim that it's a kind of is me wanting to bring the stranger into the fold a little bit. It's definitely you wanting to elevate the stranger's boring elevator ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right. what's that thing the psychologists tell you to do that, like, uh, you go into an elevator and there are two, three people there, and you walk into the elevator and you continue walking until your nose is almost touching the back wall of the elevator, and you stand there with your back to the doors the whole time, not looking at it. Psychologists anyone. tell you to do this? No, and, they do not. And this, this is, like, uh, according to psychologists, the most aggressive thing you can do in right. an elevator is to mark yourself out as different, to be yeah. doing some weird shit, and in many ways... That's fucking weird and psychotic. Yeah. But to maybe this is the opposite impulse. Yeah, it, it's exactly yeah. the opposite. It's the opposite to involve the other people in the elevator whom you're supposed to ignore, basically. Right. And but really also because I imagine it as like 
to a friend as well. I'm trying to make them into nose against the wall person. Yeah. They're the only one not in the play Definitely. about my testicles being laminated. Yeah. Yeah. They're also something like that's, an, you know, why would you ever laminate your testicles, right? What do you, for protection. Dust. Yeah. You're talking to the wrong guys. <laughs> <laughs> Elevators, by the way, are pure stranger situations. Don't be, don't fuck around on an elevator. I'm not going to listen to you. In every mythology, the hero is an exceptional being, but in your fascist ideology, heroism is the norm. This cult of heroism is strictly linked with the cult of death. In non-fascist societies, the lay public is told that death is unpleasant, but must be faced with dignity. Believers are told that it is the painful way to reach a supernatural happiness. By contrast, the or-fascist hero craves heroic death, advertised as the best reward for a heroic life. The or-fascist hero is impatient to die. Boo Srinivasan. Boo? So what is capitalism? Capitalism fundamentally is a series of marketplaces. You could have a marketplace for lemonade, a marketplace for lemons, a marketplace for trucks that transport lemons, a marketplace that fuels those <laughs> trucks, marketplaces that sell wood to build lemonade stands. However, capitalism. capitalism, of course, as we know, is this either celebrated term or condemned term. It's either revered <gasps> term, or it's reviled. Really? And I'm here capitalism to argue that this is because capitalism in the modern iteration is largely misunderstood. In so my view... Happy. Capitalism should not be thought of as an ideology, but instead should be thought of as an operating system. <laughs> Think of your iPhone. Your iPhone merges hardware with software, apps and hardware. Now, think about all the hardware as the physical reality all around you. Mm-hmm. And think of yes. the apps as entrepreneurial activity, creative <laughs> energy. <laughs> and in between, you have an oh, operating this is, system. This is like the most as edgy stand I've ever heard. You have advances in software. And the operating system needs to keep up. It needs to be patched. It needs what to be updated. What problem New is he trying to solve? Have to happen. Yeah, he, he and all of these things a third have thing to in between the apps and hardware, right? The operating system needs to keep getting more and more advanced to, to keep up with innovation. To keep up. And this is why fundamentally, it's not when you think to about it as an operating system, it devolves the language of ideology away from what traditional defenders of capitalism think. What was the hardware in his hardware software analogy? The world. The world. Circumstance. The physical world with yeah. people and lemons and wood for lemon stands and yeah. gears yeah. for lemon trucks. Notably not just trucks and lemons, but yeah. he was like saying the reality. The whole reality. fucking deal of the market. So, okay, so yeah. capitalism plays upon the keys of the world the way that an operating system plays upon but the But in his computing metaphor, the operating system needs to keep up with innovations in the hardware. And which the is what? Like new, new shit lemons. in reality? Yeah, new like, shit in reality happens, and then we got a we retrofit activity. New, re- new real estate, for, right? New apps. What to deal the with fuck those. is he talking about? He's already included. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's not right, how right. hardware software works. This no. this thing that we're listening to, right? This is called reasoning by analogy, and like it, it'll get you to crazy places. Like if I have a <laughs> fever, total. I have to take half of your blood away. Yeah, yeah. I have to fucking bleed you because well, you're too hot, man. If you're too hot. There's no way for. There would be no way for us to clue this man in on the juicy irony of him being like, uh, for my uh, analogy about capitalism, think of your iPhone. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I don't even- a consumer electronics. Right. 
First off, I just don't think he had much. Uh, the thing he's trying to bring down this capitalism is an ideology. He didn't discuss in a way that was particularly helpful. Next, when he <laughs> next, as he des- described like capitalism in the world marketplaces, he didn't do a very good job. No, that's not. But what... then, surprisingly, when he talked about the iPhone that it's, he's going to use also as the analogy, he also didn't seem to really have great command yeah. over what happens in an iPhone. What do you think he thinks ideology means? That's, that's yes, I think, yeah, an enduring right. question. What was the, the uh, I should go back a few seconds to hear that yeah, devolved, it, it devolved sentence. I mean, like, yeah. it, it, like the complexity of his language takes a fucking hockey stick up. We're, <laughs> <laughs> We're devolving an ideology the, away from something? It devolves the language of ideology, away from the language of ideology. That's what he wants to do. Oh, devolving capitalism away from the language of ideology. Can you translate that? You know what I think it is? He's like all these fucking engineer types. He's like, it's a little divisive, guys, out there in the world. People seem to be fighting about capitalism. Let's, instead of fighting, think of it differently as iPhones. Well, okay. I mean, what if you no change capitalism to fascism, right? right? And you say, fascism isn't an ideology, it's an operating system. It's a way, it's a thing that happens in the world. It's an it's, organization of reality. It's an interaction between the software, the uh, the political activities, and the hardware, all the stuff, and the people <laughs> walking around. It's like, no need to be afraid of fascism. It's an operating system. Would you like on your iPhone, don't you? You're welcome for me pulling the rug out from any ideological dispute you might have. Now you just have, what, engineering problems. Problems, which mean, can be solved, as all problems can be right. solved. I'm Francois Fiet. What I don't know what he thinks an ideology does, but it, it organizes how we're going to interact with stuff. Like ideologies have consequences. Dude, we they got are. like I mean, we have we got a minute and a half into a six minute thing. I still don't. I have no idea what the word devolves. I'm going to try. And, I'm going to try and get that whole sentence again. When you think about it as an operating system, it devolves the language of ideology away from what traditional defenders of capitalism think. All right, but even. That. Now, us chattering in the corner yeah. about ideology, now that conversation is devolved? Yeah, it's going from walking to like crawling. of evolved? Yeah, over <laughs> yeah. to, and all of a sudden now we have this like little on the edge of the ocean operating system <laughs> language, which is, this is what is going to help us, guys. If you go to the Constitution, you'll notice, before the founders even got to the First Amendment with free speech, free religion, yeah. free press, they thought about patents and copyright. They talked about the government's role in promoting arts and sciences. It's the reason why I could not start a search engine tomorrow called Goggle. <laughs> Google doesn't own G's. Yeah, they didn't do I the amendments do it because first. There could be some confusion. So even property rights have ambiguity built into that. Wait, okay, and wait, on wait. and on. How does that and follow? And by 1900, from you the have Constitution other types deals of property patents. that come into being. For instance, imagine that in 1900 you owned 100 acres of land. Someplace in the Midwest. It's very easy to see where your fence ends, your neighbor's property begins. Now let me ask you, where in the sky does your property end? Does it end at 1,000 feet, 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet? It makes no difference because other than the novelty of a few hot air balloons, man couldn't fly. But within three (laughs) years, he could. Now all of a sudden, it was very much relevant whether your land ends at 1,000 feet in the sky, 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet. And you have to have someone arbitrate that. Capitalism. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. In five or ten years from now, when Amazon wants to deliver a package over your house to your neighbor from that UPS truck, we're going to have to decide, does your property end at five feet? Sorry, why 10 feet, feet, truck? 50 feet, 100 feet, where does it end? And there is no ideology that'll tell you where your property ends. Okay, let's just think about it's that operating sentence. He, it's just the All problems. Right. There's no ideology that will tell you where your property ends in the sky. Yeah. 
Okay. So what the fuck? All right. So he's going to say that in in the absence of an ideology to determine the height of air rights, all that can happen is a market. No, you need government to arbitrate. Well, which is not interesting at all. But for even in the capitalism ideology, if you're reading Rousseau, it's only by virtue of the government that's there to protect your property rights I, that the fence means anything at all. The ideology is the framing mechanism that makes you say about space up in the sky. I wonder if I own that or not, rather than what is the best way for us to use this space given the new balloons or whatever. The fact that the property in a two-dimensional sense has a fence around it, right? There's an ideology that supports the idea of a property boundary, right? And that's called the government steps in to protect your right to property because if everyone's right to property is protected, they tend not to kill each other as much. Right. That's an ideology called civil society. That's right. And this guy seems to think that civil society will not be involved in the definition of air rights. Also, the it's not easy to see where where boundaries end and fences can be put in the wrong place and they can be moved and actually yeah, and trees roots go under the right. fence. To to think that like only when we're up in the sky does the complicated thing happen is to just fail to understand actual democratic like social interaction that is always going on. In fact, if you're uh, you can be your own country and a tribe of recognized yeah. fucking Native Americans and That's right. my God, the balloon question ain't gonna be your fucking problem. And similarly, we're going to see this with automobiles. A few years after the Wright brothers figured out flight, human beings started using more and more cars. And all of a sudden, the regulatory system, the operating system, had to be oh my God. to all of a sudden address the safety of consumers. Government is the that operating The consumers system. of vehicles were presenting danger to horses, other pedestrians, trolleys, what have you. And all of a sudden, the driver of these automobiles had to have driver's licenses, eye exams, Registered motor vehicles, speed limits, Laws rules of the road need. so that horses, pedestrians could coexist with cars. It had to be backwards compatible. No. So That's a new invention had to basically fit advances from the past. These are unhelpful. You're going to see the most valuable economy in the world, the largest economy in the world, is going to be a country run by communists. The Chinese seem to be very good at capitalism. For a long time, free markets coincided with liberties such as free speech, free press. Wait a second. Free religion. And all of a sudden, this equation is going to be decoupled. (laughs) And when it gets decoupled, we might find that democracy, the multitude of voices, actually impedes capitalism because a state that does not have any pretense of limited government can very quickly mandate a regulatory framework for drones. So true or false, government is another operating system? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think he is explicitly lumping government into capitalism. He's saying government is the ideology. Except when it's communism. Exactly. We, our ideology is democratic. Their ideology is is I thought ideology was devolved. Well, the language... And let me tell you something, it has devolved. (laughs) And this is why... It's very important to think of American capitalism as an operating system and not as an ideology. Because when you think about it as an ideology, you can have good politics make for very, very bad policy. That market outcomes and democratic voices and battles for votes can end up stifling progress. So over the next few years, as this political cycle plays out, you're going to see American democracy rise to meet the challenges that capitalism poses and modernity poses. And I ask policymakers to think about 
Capitalism is racism. Decoupling ideology from economics and think about Easy. how good policy can ultimately become good politics. Thank you. That is unbelievable. He word salad by the last 35 seconds. I mean, what he's saying is scary. He's actually saying, like, listen, we can't let democracy get in the way of good capitalism. It, this isn't an ideology you believe in or don't believe in. Right. It's not a strategy. This is football. This is what we play. You know, and if you are, you know, if you're thinking, I don't believe in football, you're just going to be bad at football because football isn't something you, it's not a sport. It's life. <laughs> like it's, it's literally that. But vacuous. that's nonsense. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Well, it's one, it is a, obviously embeds what it's arguing. Yeah. From the very beginning. There's no argument inside of what he's saying as to why we should order uh, society around progress for the yeah. app developers. O operating system progress. Right. which is what he seems to be talking about is obviously an empty concept designed to sort of map onto we need to make more money with capitalism, right? Yes. Like his whole thing about there's innovation and so then the operating system needs to keep up. Like I don't know what's happening on his iPhone, but that doesn't fucking work at all, really. Mm -hmm. You could compress all of the actual sense in what he said into something that would fit on a fortune and a fortune cookie, right? Mm -hmm. If that. Yeah. I think all it is is a fortune cookie that says something like, uh, you can change ideologies, but try changing the operating system on your fucking iPhone, you piece of shit. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> something is happening with the language here that we really do oh, need yeah. to freak out yeah. about. Basically, all he means by ideology is it's like a thing that people less enlightened than Silicon Valley, they fight about ideologies yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Operating systems are reality, things that work. You're familiar with the one on your phone. This is the priest who all the ministers in like your fucking commercials and little speeches and presentations yeah. all around the country imitate. It's these fucking guys are diving into the jargon and trying to have their little visions of the future one after the other when they don't really understand what they're but saying. that even pre-suggests that there's jargon and guys to dive into it. The jargon is these guys extending these, what were already metaphors, the computing terms. They're extending them even further and they're trying to make these like scaffolded metaphors on metaphors that you could only even delude yourself into trying to do if you make a crucial mistake and think that computing terms are somehow written into the ontology of the world and weren't the result of a series of metaphors from the world right. and distances from the world. And now he's trying to put them back on the world like they're the native architecture of things. He actually can't put yeah. words together unless he finds vague and yet familiar sounding yeah. phrases. This kind of poor thinking requires a very specific kind of language, either that you agree on with a bunch of like psychotic cult members yeah. where you... It's, it's actually like pre-scientific in a way. Yes. This is what happens when you forget that what led you to an industrialist society that allows you to create hardware and software was a whole fucking lot of ideology. This is why it is sort of like pre-scientific because it's post-scientific and it turns out yeah. that it looks like pre-scientific. They're, they're just done. Computing has created a perfect metaphorical world where they can delude themselves into thinking there was no history of the world that they need concern themselves with. And I feel like this is a point I've heard you make before, Nick, about computers, that the universality of the universal machine that is a computer allows this to be the perfect palette of blankness on which to inscribe whatever the fuck you want, much to the detriment of the actual ontology of the yeah, thing yeah. I mean, in exactly the same way that uh, alchemy and the theory of humors and phlogiston were like honest attempts most of the time to understand the world, but were like the door being held wide open for all the quacks in the world who could come in saying that uh, swallowing mercury is actually great for your gallbladder or whatever. Because you could make anything fit. And this is even worse in the sense of 
basically all any of us can do is submit to like this one grand quack. Yeah. <laughs> that like essentially the the secret message here is people don't matter at all. It's about the technology guiding us. It's about a future of AI that we can't get in the way of or we're going to be like destroyed. Since both permanent war and heroism are difficult games to play, the ur-fascist transfers his will to power, to sexual matters. This is the origin of machismo, which implies both disdain for women and intolerance and condemnation of non-standard sexual habits, from chastity to homosexuality. Since even sex is a difficult game to play, the ur-fascist hero tends to play with weapons, Doing so becomes an ersatz phallic exercise. Penis. Nice. Thirteen. Your fascism is based upon a selective populism. A qualitative populism, one might say. In a democracy, the citizens have individual rights, but the citizens in their entirety have a political impact only from a quantitative point of view. One follows the decisions of the majority. For your fascism, however, individuals as individuals have no rights, and the people is conceived as equality, a monolithic entity expressing the common will. Since no large quantity of human beings can have a common will, the leader pretends to be their interpreter. Having lost their power of delegation, citizens do not act, they are only called on to play the role of the people. Thus the people is only a theatrical fiction. It's not anti-democratic to say what the people click on is not necessarily the best reporting for them. Like we just have, we can have better aspirations for the people than what they click on. If I see, if, if I see a headline that is long, difficult and seminal article on the fascist overtones of the Trump administration, and then I see a, a not so difficult headline like, Here's why Trump's going to pardon Scooter Libby. I got the deets. Click on me, lulz, smiley face, shrug man. I'm going to click on that one, and it's not going to mean anything about the quality of the information therein. This is with advertising based revenue. One of the weird things about our world that's obsessed with quantifying and measuring performance or whatever is that we end up, we just measure what we can measure. And then our understanding shifts, and and all of a sudden, because we can measure it, that is where the value is. Right. I mean, the only reason we count clicks as opposed to like, you know, the time people spend talking and thinking about it and being glad about their like subscription to the New Republic is because all the other stuff, all the real value that you're building, like you just can't like get on a dashboard that fast, right? Yeah, I mean, we should just cut cut to the chase that. The insistence that a newspaper be not only profitable, but more profitable than it was last year, is something like the byline of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And it just, it destroys newspapers faster than if you tried to fire everyone en masse. It doesn't surprise me at all, the idea that as you worry about profits, your quality is likely to go down. 
in a, something like a newspaper because obviously you're just going to worry about the money. But what I'm trying, I think what I'm trying to suggest is just as capitalism takes over and we worry more about measuring things and profitability and money and money and money, institutional memory seems to be dying everywhere. Like literally the people in Congress, as they're getting better at raising funds, seem to know less and less about how to do anything. Like as a political tactic, we do shit in the Congress, like not make uh, inflation adjustments per permanent. Like we, we don't like fund things. We fund things for a limited time so that we can have the fight again, so that we can tie it to something else and leverage, right? That's like what passes for smart politics today. It's like that is going to happen with everything. Like we want it, like it's actually very beneficial to Hollywood if you forget that a Hulk came out with Edward Norton and right. Eric Bana before the Mark Ruffalo one. If you can just eliminate any kind of depth into the past, it's going to be easier for those selling you things to sell you the same shit again. Right. And, and that works on the political level, too. I mean, I wonder if this is part of the war on like the State Department, <laughs> which is just to say, like, maybe that was one of the last sort of places where old fashioned experience, nuanced institutional memory was like being valued. Long game, not public facing. Yeah. And when that's gone, it's hard to even think of an example. It's certainly it's not true that like universities and students and labor. And I mean, do you feel like that's an obvious uh, consequence of capitalism or do you feel like it's a haphazard connection? I would think memory must sometimes help you make money and be effective. Why doesn't it? Why doesn't it? Part of it has to do with we trust like algorithms and artificial intelligence. Like the, we are finding new ways of trying to hold on to our informational advantage that is different than having experienced people. Well, but I really think it's like planned obsolescence for information or something like that. Yeah. Like the, the TVs go bad sooner so that you get, buy more TVs. Like the TV game right. just got easier to break into as a TV seller. Basically, if we want to keep selling you things, there's not a lot of holding on to old things that we want to encourage. Yeah, that's interesting. And maybe we have an attitude like that about at now to be efficient and rule our organizations and companies. We want to push out anybody who becomes too valuable to us and replace them with younger, cheaper. Yeah, like that 62 year old reporter who's intensely valuable for his institutional knowledge of the town or like the crime reporter who gets squeezed out in the fifth season of The He's Wire. He's only good for the reader. I mean, with the, the requirement that the newspaper be more profitable this year than it was last year, more profitable next year than this, it... Uh, requires a kind of chaos where new avenues of like profit can be pursued and exploited. And if you have a, a news from a 62-year-old reporter who know everything about City Hall and who can write very competent, hold them to the fire articles week after week after week, that's not chaos, that's order. But this is like when you look at the corruption and shittiness of our pol political world now with two papers still alive investigating. Two or three, yeah. The LA Times just unionized. That's true. Right. And like, as, as we read, like some terrible corporate dismantling was like on, it was like 1159 PM for some yeah. like kind of shadow newsroom situation. To yeah, it, it was, they were so, the trunk was so prepared to fire everyone in the LA times yeah. newsroom that the second they unionized, they sold the entire paper. Yeah. They were like, that's it. We're done. But before that they were setting up some kind of like trunk, like trunk nights or something like that like like in an office park and they were yeah. just it was just gonna be when they fire everyone now these idiots create digital content under the masthead of the this LA is, Times this would be in our top three easily most positive hope filled stories of 2018 or whatever right oh, yeah. like we, we there's a lesson I don't know exactly what it is but solidarity nobility of purpose the right kind of fight the distant fucking shitty boss trunk just be going trunk. like it's a little too much work 
they just like, you know, there's some algorithm in their greedy hearts that goes like, oh, well, I guess I'll let this one go. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible mark of how decadent and flabby and pale management has become that the second the employees unionize, they just cut, cut loose. They don't even yeah. want to deal with it. Well, then, like you said, it's only one tranche in like a capital portfolio for them oh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So what the fuck does it matter? Yeah. And this is like our weak ass politicians with all the yeah, teachers yeah. strike totally. and they have like a total unity of purpose and they know their costs just, it's weird They're to fun. see how, how unprepared the politicians are. They start immediately being like, we're giving the teachers more money. They're like greedy like, teens. Okay, okay, we did find some more money. We told you that didn't exist. We did happen to find some. Here's some. Yeah. The thing is what we try to do, what the evil guys try to do to the unions, right, is to try to make them look unreasonable and greedy. So I feel like all strikes should have bonus benefactors. Yeah. Every union should be like, who the fuck can we help that doesn't even need to sacrifice? I feel like that yeah, really yeah. brings about change. And homeless shelters, please. Yeah. Yeah. We're striking for for us and we're demanding no more solitary yeah. confinement. Or, yeah, that's right. Know. It's just like earmarks or whatever. It's the same principle. We've got you, so here's what we need to do. Except right. it's literally from the fucking groundswell. Because teachers have real purpose and the governor of Oklahoma... <laughs> The P, the Republican in West Virginia, they don't have purpose like that. No. In that kind I mean, of they, fight. They're very much placeholder people. Unity of purpose, yeah. right? Yes. Which I think you're exactly right. These are cowardly people oh, who yeah. only have sort of money in one another. I mean, the fact that the Koch brothers never has like spent this much money shows profound fear. It's end times logic, right? Like the reason why they had to go so hard, this regime, is because it was it's on its natural way out, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fight back is so insane and vigorous because, yeah, this is like in a certain way, the, the the end is not even near. It's here, and they just kick the can once la- one last time or something yeah. like that. Maybe if, They're terrified. Yeah. If we, when something like the teacher strike in West Virginia happens, or even the LA Times like unionization thing, uh, it's amazing. You very quickly start seeing people learning that lesson of going, oh, we can make a difference. That's the dream. And you just think dominoes. Yeah. Dominoes. This could really. <sighs> I know. I mean, I just think about Florida. Fel- if felons can fucking vote in Florida, that's gonna be that's gonna yeah. be on the state ballot. I mean, if we start really trying to make our democracy stronger, amazing things could happen quickly. The people who have consolidated power, like the fact they've consolidated power, doesn't make them powerful. In fact, it reveals them to be deeply fearful. And the second there's anything like stiff opposition, they they're all pushovers. Yes, and and really remarkable change on a, a sweeping level could happen. Basically overnight in America. See, this is this is the shit I like. Yeah, yeah this is, we believe in the. Who would claim the relentless picnic doesn't believe in America? We so believe in America that, that we're saying that. Yeah, up to an absurd degree, yeah. the cause of justice really could start beating the shit out of these cowardly, rich, dying, fucking idiots. And by the way, as I saw tweeted during the uh, lead up to the Oklahoma teacher strike, when also in the news was Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and delete your Facebook account, a tweet like. Look, obviously delete your Facebook account if you want, but please note the primary site of organization for the Oklahoma teacher strike is on Facebook. So another wrinkle of the story is, oh yeah, the tools of evil being used for good, (laughs) Uh, right? Amidst the manifest evil. Right. Facebook is basically a trap for the individual where they'll turn you into a tiny bit of data and sell you off to literally the most evil creatures there ever were, these fucking Mercer people. For nothing. But if you're just being a teacher looking to organize, it's fine. It's allegedly about connection. In fact, it's about atomization, right? Because you want to atomize people down to their likelihoods to buy certain speaker cables or fucking goji berries or whatever. And within that 
stage for atomization, there's the possibility of resisting it. They lured you into the to the Facebook by saying like, look, see, you can look at photos and play with the fake farms and also like connect in quotes with like your friends. But really what we're doing is totally anatomizing you. We're selling off all of your yes. data, the advertisers, but no play with the toys in the meantime, while we yeah. do that. Well, we and then these it. people were like, we've played with the toys so hard that we have all gotten together and we have affected change at a state level at a, in the bloodiest of blood red states this, in the union. This is such an important thing to understand about like Facebook using that word connect. Hey, you guys like want to connect? And it's the emptiest of, of relationships and verbs. It's the stalest, of things. Yeah, that's the keys jangling while they pick your pocket. Exactly. You are fucking lonely and they're studying you and they, even if you're not on Facebook, they're building the shadow version of you and they're gathering all this fucking information. They they basically want to build like, you know, some fucking... computer like AI shit that will just know exactly how to manipulate you because you're lonely and predictable and pathetic. But the thing about actual connection, Mm -hmm. what it's like to be a group of teachers jangling the fucking keys at the asshole who made the car comment, that that experience of actually connecting, actually having something social happen, that sort of empowerment, that feeling of momentum is is nothing at all that the Zuck or any of those fuckers know anything about. Yeah. And it makes people unpredictable. Yeah. 14, 14. Your fascism speaks new speak. All the Nazi or fascist school books made use of an impoverished vocabulary and an elementary syntax in order to limit the instruments for complex and critical reasoning. But we must be ready to identify other kinds of new speak even if they take the apparently innocent form of a popular talk show or podcast. What is the talk of creeping fascism and the form that this Echo piece from 1995 takes, which resembles a form that a Masha Gessen piece from 2017 took? In other words, like, look out for the following things, colon. Yeah. Right? Like, why is this the sneakiest, uh, apparently, of, like, political encroachments? And also so coercive and ham-fisted and dangerous. Right. Why is it also associated with a kind of sneakiness? Do you uh, think? I think because it, fascism, more than any other political organization or system or thing, takes advantage of apathy most successfully. Apathy was not the thing on the table during the French Revolution. That was like fervor. dissent yeah. and yeah, fervor, right? And same thing in the Russian Revolution. And there was uh, deep malaise in Germany in the late 20s. And something about what Hitler had to sell was terminally attractive to people under the thumb of that malaise. Terminally attractive, that's yeah. right. It's you're frustrated and you're apathetic. There's a kind of darkness in you. There, I guess I want to say this. The reason it's creeping is they're not warning you about the other people oh, God, in your yeah. society. They're warning you about how it comes for you. They're warning you about you. They're warning you about you, which means that you, out of out of your prior apathy and your willingness to buy what they're selling you... Or, or simply ignore it, right? Which is what the vast majority right. of German and, Nazis did. And your point was that either one is to the advantage. Of the oh, fascists. God, yeah. yeah. Obviously, if you buy in, it's to their advantage. But even if you don't and you just go like, nope, not for me, it's like, exactly it's like, where... It's, yeah, it's like abstaining in, when you vote, you know? Right. Yeah. It, it, it exploits apathy the best. Yeah. It's so true. Because really, apathy and progressivism are very 
ill-suited bedfellows. Mm-hmm. If everyone who's like casually progressive is also apathetic, there really is no progressivism. Yeah. Well, and the creepy part is if it doesn't require any of these certain uh, sim- like symptoms that we're familiar with, just one to build around, you can keep saying to yourself like, all right, I'm into this thing, but we're not fascists. We're the real... Like Democrats, yeah. our syncretic mythology is just <laughs> yeah, right. exactly yeah. right. Like we we don't have this weird traditionalism. We're futurists. Yeah. We love technology and we all love war for its own sake. So it literally sneaks up on the fascists too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, because according to Echo, fascism is like an emergent thing, and it doesn't hold up to critical thinking, right? Yeah, to try and like sort it out and make sense of it is itself. A ill-fated task. Yeah. It's not that it will be opposed by the secret police, although maybe it will. It's just that it won't get you to what you're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, far from it. Yeah. The, it will only and now it will only make you vulnerable to keep offering arguments because yeah. it, you're. You, it makes it just very clear you're not really one of them. You're yeah, that's weak. right. You will be among the emasculated weak mm-hmm. future deaths. Right. There's you know, there's all kinds of myths we throw around about bullies, like uh, bullies keep in check like decadent little loser kids, and bullies will back down once you like stand up for yourself once you punch them. Yeah. Like, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. And when I when I read this, I think to myself like, you know, the secret about about bullies is that's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. It, bullies in a group, they'll just keep coming and pounding people, and eventually. Like, there'll be prison camps and people fucking dying, and they'll turn on each other and bully the weakest bully. There's no thing that ends it. There are no arguments. So, yeah, that's that's what you call a death cycle. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're talking about, is an, a, a lust for an ending, right? Yeah, the uh, urgent need to put yourself on a course that removes the burden of responsibility for yourself right like and and like to be super clear when you find yourself joining a mass movement or like feeling a buzz when you're in a crowd that's a death drive yeah it absolutely is and that's what a crowd is yeah crowds (laughs) which is not to say might makes right no to say when this arises there's just you're gonna have to fight sometimes When we think about architecture, everybody that we know around us assumes to know the definition. And I'm not the first to say that I don't know a lot about architecture. But... But, but, but.